birthday? You want to watch some TV or something? Skip it. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. I'm disgusted and repulsed and and I can't look away. I need these things! I need these things! No way, no way, Jose. <laughs> this just in, go to hell! This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Stop it! 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 Hello, friends and listeners. Welcome to another episode of Watch Skip Plus. I am Cupcake. My co-host, The Cinemascus, Justin, is here. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. And finally, this is episode 10, after me misnumbering it. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And this one is a very special episode, not only because it's our 10th. Woohoo! We're we're 10 years old. Maybe. I don't know. Not 10 years. (laughs) In in heart, in in mind. Yes. 10 episodes old. There you go. Uh, But we have not only the Death by DVD hosts joining us. We also have the one and only Samurai from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema joining us on this show as well. And we are tackling the quite controversial, even though this is the first domestic weekend that it's opened, David Gordon Green's Halloween Ends, which is the third in David Gordon Green's trilogy to quote-unquote, reboot, requel, re-whatever-you-want-to-call-it Halloween. And uh, again, it it's, looks like it's going to be quite the discussion. Uh, Justin, do you want to introduce our guests? Certainly. So, like you mentioned, we have two of the hosts from Death by DVD, Harry and Linus. How are you two gentlemen doing? I'm doing awesome. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to do this show with you guys. Yeah, man, it's, uh, yeah, I'm just going to have to remember that I'm participating and not just listening to to you guys. And it's, I do uh, that anytime I guest on a podcast. I just did that on Not a Bomb. I was like, oh, yeah, I can talk, can I? Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 about 100 o'clock here in the UK as well. So if, if I if I drift off, I'm, I'm sorry. Harry, are we you in appreciate- the UK as well? I am not. I am on the East Coast, and despite Death by DVD being 13 years old, we ha- I've never once guested on another podcast, so this is oh. my very first time, and I'm, wow. I'm really happy to get to do it on Watch Skip. Watch awesome. Skip Plus, I'm sorry. Yeah, this Thank is special. You. I'm a little nervous now. I hope we do right by I, I'm a little nervous because of the subject matter, because it's. I, I, I think I have a very wrong opinion, according to everybody else, but we'll get there in a little while. That will make for a very fun discussion. It will, and I don't think you're going to be alone, Harry. And as Nancy says in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, straight talk only in this room. So it's going to be fine. Whatever we say is going to go. It's all good. And I thought you were on the East Coast. I looked at your uh, Instagram, and it looks like we're both O's fans. So there you go. (laughs) I was originally going to wear an O's hat, and I I had a Death by DVD one. So I had to mark myself with Death by DVD. But I'm originally from Maryland, and I I live, we call it Any Town USA on the show. But uh, I'm in Virginia, Linus is in the UK, and our other host, Alexander Nash, lives in Kentucky. So we're spread out fairly far. Excellent. 
Excellent, excellent. And speaking of Kentucky, Justin, our next. (laughs) Yes, you stole my segue. Yes, because from the hollowed halls of Kentucky, it is a gentleman that we have mentioned quite a bit on this podcast. Uh, One of our podcasting inspirations, Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. How are you doing, Sammy? I'm doing good. That would be the hollowed hollers. Oh, that is true. (laughs) We don't have any halls down here. It's all hollers. (laughs) <laughs> bluegrass and marijuana that's the way we roll down here Fragile. and that's where my next vacation is <laughs> no it's good it's good to be here this is a chance for me to say you know thank you publicly for letting my son come on one of the shows and letting him uh, have some fun and uh yeah it's good to be here obviously i know we're friends and i'm uh i've known linus for a while at least through facebook uh harry i haven't known as much but i know of him uh, he's been around in the game for a long time. So, uh, yeah, a couple of uh, podcasting veterans on the show here. Yes. It's, it's like a podcast summer crossover. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is actually United. an intervention for you guys to oh. give us some tips. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Okay, so. Per- perseverance it- is the tip, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so watch skip plus obviously the plus comes from the fact that before we do our movie review proper uh, Justin and I will normally do a bonus review be it lifestyle movie TV series something but I think since we have so many guests I think Justin and I are going to defer and maybe turn it over to the death by DVD boys and Sam to give their pluses anybody want to go first how about you take a stab at that Linus Drop me right in there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Under pressure. Um, yeah, well, I think um, uh, Justin mentioned last week about um, Al Goro's um, 31 Days of Halloween. So, sort of following his lead, I, I've tried and done uh, at least one horror movie I haven't seen every day for October. And I usually get a bit excited and I think back in 2020 because of the pandemic and nothing else to do particularly. I tried to crack 100. I, I got to about 96 with like two hours of, of Halloween left and it was just like, oh God. So I've tried to take it a bit more steady this year. And um, one of the films I watched um, was something I thought was a horror movie, but actually wasn't. It was actually a good movie. Oh. <laughs> that was uh, that was because uh, it... Cause it, it it was down as um, a Fright Fest Presents film. It's uh, Video Man from uh, 2018, which is a Swedish movie uh, directed by uh, Christian A. Soderstrom, um, which is apparently his debut feature. It's a kind of uh, Mike Lee-esque sort of um, r- realistic romantic comedy about a chap who's a uh, VHS collector and uh, the sort of drama centers around a, a missing copy of Fulci's zombie, which he, uh, plans, he plans to, uh, to sell to pay off all his debts. But uh, yeah, it was like, it was quite affecting. Could, so I know a lot of people that do collect pre-suit VHS over here and could see a lot of uh, myself and my friends in there, not, not least of when they had uh, an argument about who was better, Fulci or Argento? And obviously, it's Fulci. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I think we might have an argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, you there, go. <laughs> the, there is his reason being that um, Fulci made lots of different types of movies, and um, everything Argento does is jolly, which I don't totally agree with. 
but uh, but I can see where he's coming from. Mm. Yeah, same um, here. Looks like so. It looks like it has the subtitle of, or maybe it's just the tagline: "VHS is dead." Mm. On IMDb, it sits at a five point eight, apparently, and Absolutely the logline. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The logline goes, a VHS collector and a woman obsessed with the 80s, both alcoholics, don't know why they need to insert that, initiates a romance that helps them battle their personal failures. And just as a note, looks like Martin Wallstrom is in this. He was in the Bad Robot. Um, not Bad Robot. Did it, is that right? No, Mr. Robot. <laughs> not J.J. Uh, Abrams. There was a series in the um, on USA called Mr. Robot, and Wallstrom was in it. He was great in it i had never seen him before that uh but it looks like he's in this cast mm, yeah i have seen mr robot but a while ago and i didn't didn't recognize him from there it's so good i i think i've seen each of those seasons like at least three times so all oh, right <laughs> domestically looks like it's on Tubi as well if anybody wants to check it out yeah it's on amazon uh prime over here in the uk for free excellent nice. excellent who's who's next <laughs> I can take a stab at this one now. Awesome. My, mine is in a complete different direction than line is. Uh, at the, the very first of the month, uh, I believe Fathom Events was offering a double feature for two classic Universal monster films. And I, you, you as a horror fan kind of expect, all right, I, I know what these are. I know Frankenstein. I know The Invisible Man. And these were both sequels to movies, and I admittedly had never seen them. So when I went home, I kind of have become uh, have a fascination this month of October with trying to complete not just the the original Universal Monsters, but almost every film has about five sequels. So the mummy goes on and it turns into Boris Karloff Jr. The Creature from the Black Lagoon, I think most people knew, knew had a bunch of sequels. Dracula, I didn't know the longevity of Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and then most of these series also continue in the 70s with Hammer Productions with their own new twists on it. And I have been just crushing through it. I, I finished The Mummy. I'm moving into The Invisible Man with sequels that I just didn't know about. That I mean, The Invisible Man fights Nazis at one point. It really goes everywhere. And that's, <laughs> awesome. I, I believe that one's called The Invisible Ally. And Peter Lorre plays a, a Japanese character. And it's just, it's very offensive for even its time period of the portrayals of different races and ethnicities. And then it's 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 a pre- Pre-1944, going uh, the United States moving deeper into the, the World War II itself, it's, it's really weird how they projected what was going to happen with the war, and it's very nationalistic and bizarre, and I never realized these series took off so deep into Universal, and they were all uh, quote-unquote B-movies, but it's really interesting seeing the depth of them, and, and I, I've for one really enjoyed the mummy that's been my favorite venturing into and seeing all these references that i never realized that existed in the brendan fraser series which i think more people are familiar with that and i have i I have so much more love for that series now that i've seen the universal monster all five pictures and and they meet abbott and costello so that was interesting I was about to ask if you'd gotten to the comedic out, uh, you know, Abbott and Costello stuff. I'm including all of those because Universal did produce them. So they technically do fall into the realm of Universal monsters. And uh, the he meets the Invisible Man, the Mummy, I believe the Wolfman, Frankenstein. They, they had a lot of versatility with meeting monsters. They sure did. <laughs> Any favorites so far that stand out above all of them that you've been plowing through? 
the invisible woman has got to be my favorite that it's yes. it's it's not a horror film it's more of a slapstick whodunit comedy and shimp howard of the three stooges fame well i guess four if you include him appear in the film and it was just hysterical and ended on a very happy high note that most of the horror was excluded there's a little bit of the invisibility makes you go crazy aspect of the movie, but for the most part, it was just, it was fun to watch it and experience it and to, to have the heroine have a happy ending. It was, it was, it was really different than what you expect with these series. We talk about all the time on this show, how we're just, we're just going to take radical ideas and write spec scripts and become famous. Maybe you should write a spec <laughs> script to reboot in- invisible woman. <laughs> <laughs> the, the movie itself takes place with a, a woman that is annoyed with her boss and uses the invisibility to take a, a, get revenge on him. And then it turns into this weird whodunit plot and it kind of goes off kilter. So it's it, it's it'd be a weird slapstick piece to redo now. Almost sounds like something that could have existed in the 80s as a comedy as For well. Real. Yeah. I think there was a, a a spec script or something that was done after the the most recent Invisible Man remake that it was going to move into the direction of of, of a female led thing and they were going to continue. I, th- I think it was Elizabeth Shue as director and, and writer with it. I don't remember who was who starred in that movie. I saw it once, unfortunately, and did not think about it. Wow! 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 It's awesome, uh, Sammy. All right, got to be a plus. Got to be a plus. Got a plus. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so this week, uh, as you know, my son's starting to get into horror films, as all of us young males tend to do at some point, or all of us when we were young males tend to do. So as a barring Justin here, maybe I don't know about uh, Harry's age. I don't know about Linus's age either. Jose, I'm quite familiar with your age. <laughs> I'm forever uh, the young one in yeah. our group, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> Justin's but, a baby. Uh, so he, he kind of came at me with some, you know, there's this challenge atmosphere that's in these these modern cultures of everything. There's all these challenges on YouTube. There's all these everything. And uh, he's like, you know, jump scares that, you know, what's the, you know, he'd read the article about the uh, the TV show with the jump scares. Uh, the Midnight Club. Yeah, the Midnight Club. And he'd asked me, what's the most jump scared movie or what's the movie that I think has the most jump scares? And I'm like, well, actually. We can watch it right now if you want to. And uh, so I sat him down and we watched uh, Drag Me to Hell, which yes. is easily one of the, uh, I, I, you know, it's an interesting movie. I don't know if it's a, a great film. What I do know is it's a great example of a director having fun making a film <laughs> mm-hmm. and just manipulating the audience in every way, shape and form that they possibly can. And, uh, yeah, it took him for a ride. I have a nice, uh, bruised rib cage and bruised left arm from the punches. <laughs> I took. It was, he was sitting to my left and uh, he was not ready and he was not ready for the gross out factor either. There's the other element of it, which is, you know, it, it doesn't do anything with gore because it's PG 13, but it does it with vomit and spit and saliva and uh, mouth on mouth contact or mouth on chin contact <laughs> Yes, um, or eyeball issues and all these things. And, uh, Except for one real kind of dodgy embalming fluid moment. It works for the most part still. The embalming fluid moment, uh, if you guys have seen the film, it's it's quite dodgy uh, <laughs> compared to the rest of the CGI in the film. <laughs> but uh, the sound really works, and it really had him jumping every way. And he, and he came away from it with the experience you should have, which is having fun with a movie like that. Again, it just starts, it goes, it makes no excuses for what it is, and just blows right through. 
I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I do think it's a great example of a a master filmmaker, really, uh, showing you how to take the form and just manipulate it and manipulate an audience. And I really wish Raimi would do more of this and was kind of hoping that's what he would have done with Doctor Strange, but he didn't do that. Not so much, anyway. There was a couple yeah. moments. Yeah, there were elements in it, but yeah. restrained to a degree. Yeah, He's probably under Feige's marching orders not to go yeah. all Raimi. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, you know, he he's so good at that little those absurdities and those uh kind of wild ideas and uh setting the audience up almost like magic tricks he's really good at that for somebody who i don't think is classically trained filmmaker so i can't say enough good things about it and we had a blast watching it it was great to rewatch it you know i, I think up until that point in in Raimi's career everybody pretty much knew what to expect from his separate like genre pictures and then having this one to me, this was like Evil Dead meets Crime Wave. Like it had that, it had that crazy, like cartoonish feel to it, and just everything in your face and everything loud and crazy. And it was a fun time. It's like like yeah. going into a haunted house. If I remember, he wasn't supposed to direct it at first. I think somebody else was supposed to direct it, and he was going to produce it because it's produced by Ghost House Pictures, which I think is his and Rob Tapert's. Uh, Tapert's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't think he was originally going to do it. And then I think that fell through. And I think he just went ahead and did it for that reason. And uh, thankfully he did because he does a great job. He really is one of the few filmmakers. I think he doesn't get enough credit for kind of fetishizing camera work. And if you go back and look at his filmography in the reality of filmmaking, his films are just outlandish, really. I mean, think about his Western, the quick and the dead. Think about his evil dead films. Um, yeah. He just has a unique flavor. Was that? The, a Simple Plan is beautiful, though. It's, yeah. it, I mean, it, it's more of a horror film than anything else when you have to deal with the, the horror of these three men that are going crazy over the money that they found. And it's it's beautifully shot. It, it's shot almost in the dead of winter, the entirety of the movie. And it, it's always kind of baffling. You see at the end of the movie, oh, it's a Sam Raimi film. Oh, wow. It's a Sam oh. Raimi film. I think it's the only one that, that Bruce and his brother don't appear in, too. So it really, uh, I don't know if either of them appear in The Quick and the Dead either, but... I think Bruce does in Quick and the Dead. Yeah. I don't know if he did for what was it for the love of the game? Was that the baseball movie Raimi did? Oh yeah, I I'm forget. Not sure if they popped Raimi up film. in that. Yeah, he yep. Uh, yeah. That was the other movie I was going to bring up. When Raimi departs from his wheelhouse, it can the results can be very surprising because both of those movies that we just mentioned are pretty fantastic, and they do have some of his hallmarks, like some weird camera swoops every now and then or whatever. But well, actually, I think Quick and the Dead is all camera swoops and uh, camera techniques. But yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, a yeah. lot of uh, 360 track shots in uh, Quick and the Dead. A lot yeah. of that. And Gene technical. Hackman losing his mind. Yeah, Gene Hackman losing his mind behind the scenes. He was not a happy camper on that movie. No. <laughs> nope. I think that's like one of those like boomer versus <laughs> new yeah. generation yeah. kind of. He's like, can we just, can I just shoot my scene, yeah. please? Well, yeah, he, well, he worked with Clint Eastwood, right? And Clint mm-hmm. Eastwood doesn't move the camera that much. And so here's Ramey is like moving it all over the place. Yep. You mean it's not locked down? No, no, <laughs> it is not locked down. All right. Okay, so yeah, here we go. Uh, into the movie proper, Halloween ends. I think Justin is going to give us one of his patented breakdowns of a franchise, which he's so good at. I am going to bypass the films just because there's a lot of them. And I think the fun of this is really coming from the 
other media that it goes into. Just know this is the 13th Halloween film, 12th to include Michael Myers. It's gone through numerous studios, almost went direct to video at one point, but we are still here. <laughs> the first avenue I want to discuss is books. Now, the first four films did have straight novelizations, but what I found very interesting discovered was in 1997 and up until 1998, there was a trilogy of young adult novels written by Kelly O'Rourke. Uh, I know Friday the 13th, and I believe Nightmare on Elm Street also had these. Uh, I think a little bit better written than a Goosebumps, but still having those cheesy elements to them. Uh, these would be The Scream Factory, The Old Myers Place, and The Madhouse. And what I thought was interesting about these is the second book, Old Myers Place, just sounds like what you would expect. New girl in town, happens to move in the house, finds out about Michael Myers. But the other two sound very cheesy. The Scream Factory uh, follows a group of friends who set up a haunted house attraction in the basement of Haddonfield City Hall, only to be stalked and killed by Michael Myers. Uh, imockery.com, which does a lot of great nostalgia pieces, did a really fun write-up of this, which I would recommend. And the other one that they mentioned that they didn't get a hold of that I think sounds amazing is The Madhouse. So this includes a volunteer film crew who go to Smith Grove Mental Hospital to make a documentary, and they get stalked by Michael Myers, which kind of sounds like the inspiration a bit to Halloween Resurrection. Now, the would transition to comic books unlike other horror franchises though it took surprisingly a little bit longer we didn't get any halloween comics or at least any proper official ones that i could find until 2000 uh there was a trilogy released by chaos comics called halloween number one halloween two the blackest eyes and halloween three the devil's eyes which i have not read these they apparently somehow tried to connect both the thorn trilogy and h2o continuity which doesn't really make much sense to me but good on them i guess <laughs> and then there's three unique one-shot comics that got released the first was in 2003 called halloween one good scare and this was released as the official 25th anniversary halloween comic it was to be sold as a collectible at a halloween convention in south pasadena but is now available to buy online also in 2003, Ex Machina put out a comic called Retribution and Descent, which was included in the Halloween Returns to Haddonfield, the official souvenir magazine, which was the program for the 25th anniversary Halloween convention. And it came with a CD with the musical score that you would read along with the comic book. So kind of similar to those old uh, books that would come with cassette tapes that would kind of add sound effects while you read. Yeah. Uh. Yes. And then one more uh, came from Param- Paranormal Pictures in 2006. So they released the documentary Halloween 25 Years of Terror and included was a comic book entitled Halloween Autopsis, which followed a photographer uh, reporter who had to track Michael Myers. It would get back into more official territory in 2008 from Devil's Due Publishing, who would do Halloween Night Dance, which was a four-issue series that unfortunately is not about Michael Myers doing aerobicide. It really just has to do with a girl. So Michael is in Russellville, Illinois, a nearby town, terrorizing them, and the teenager is like a ballerina, so there's some imagery that goes in with that. They... Also did a one-shot double issue featuring five short stories called Halloween, 30 Years of Terror. The short stories were Trick or Treat, Tommy and the Boogeyman, POV, Visiting Hours, and Repetition Compulsion. 
And then they intended on doing a three issue run called the first death of Laurie Strode. However, only the first two issues came out as the third got canceled. And on, I've got all of this from the official Halloween fan wiki. So I think this was also supposed to be from devil's due publishing considering the way they wrote it, but there's no confirmation, but there was a comic called Halloween, the Mark of Thorn that got canceled. And it says it is an unreleased comic from the Halloween series. It takes place in the H2O timeline although it does feature elements of the four to six timeline. Don't know why they always wanted to try to merge those. It was to be released after Halloween. The first death of Laurie Strode was finished. However, since the third one got canceled, this one did too. Never any confirmation that was supposed to be from them, but I'm going to assume the way that's worded. And then as an aside in 2015, uh, Storm King Comics worked with John Carpenter on a story basis and editing basis to make a series called John Carpenter's Tales for a Halloween Night. This has nothing to do with Michael Myers or the Halloween franchise at all, but thought it was fun to mention just because obviously the Halloween tie in. And then there were was one official video game for Halloween. Uh, in 1983, a video game. Well, kind of <laughs> official. So, Wizard Video released a Halloween game for, in 1983 for the Atari VCS, which would later become the Atari 2600, in which the player was a babysitter who had to protect children from Michael Man- Myers, who managed to get inside the house. Even though it was called Halloween, the cartridge had the movie's poster. None of the characters are referred to as Michael or Lori. And Wizard would, I think, right around the same time, release a Texas Chainsaw Massacre game that was very similar as well. You were clearly playing as uh, (laughs) victims of Leatherface, but they never completely mentioned it. Uh, So I'm not sure if this was kind of like how there was going to be that Hellraiser game on Nintendo that wasn't licensed by Nintendo, but they had the license. But Atari didn't care as much if you put games on your (laughs) systems. And then the only other official... Inclusion would be Michael, just like Pinhead, was a DLC character in the survival horror game Dead by Daylight, as was Laurie Strode. So online, you could play as either Michael or Laurie in Haddonfield. A slew of fan games, if you want to go online, I'll name drop Terror Drome, that fan fighting game, again, that includes characters like Michael, Pinhead, Freddy, Jason, and then some weird ones like the Tall Man, Pumpkinhead, Herbert West, ones that even on a main one you might not see. And just because I thought this was funny, there was an official free-to-play browser game to coincide with David Gordon Green's first Halloween movie in 2018 called Escape Michael Myers, which is one of those endless runner games where you have to dodge objects or else you get caught by Michael Myers. In this case, you're dodging like tombstones and pumpkins. And my favorite, and unfortunately, I have not gotten to play this yet, but there was a pinball machine. And unlike the Predator one, which only had a <laughs> prototype that never got an official release, or Hellraiser, who never had one, Spooky Pinball did release an official pinball machine last year. Three editions. There's the standard, Bloodsucker, and Collector's Edition. Nobody's familiar with modern-day pinball machines. Mainly it's Stern. A couple others, like Spooky Pinball, are coming up. Nine times out of ten, they'll have at least two, if not three, versions uh, with different pricing tiers for collectors. Most of the time, and what I could see on the Bloodsucker and Collector's Edition, it was just different coloring and target decals. I know the Monsters, when they came out with the pinball machine for that, the Collector's Edition had uh, one of those extra, like the mini pinball ones in there. So if it drops down, you go into a smaller play field that's unique Uh. from the original. But I haven't played either of these, unfortunately, but I love the fact that there is an official Halloween pinball machine. Awesome. Very cool. (laughs) So before we actually get into the 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 movie review itself, I'm gonna 
I'm going to put each of our guests on the spot just a tiny bit. Um, so Linus, my question to you is, what are your thoughts or how do you feel about Halloween one through three, the carpenter? Like if you could just sum up your love or non-love of Halloween one through three and the original carpenter trilogy, what would you want to tell our listeners about it? Well, I mean, no surprise. The first one is great. Uh, I rewatched it recently and I hadn't seen it for a few years and it's still, you know, a great bit of filmmaking. Uh, Number two is fine. It it looks nice thanks to having Dean Cundy still around. I think the score is is really good with um, Alan Howarth uh, doing a sort of synthed up version of the original score. And, And three is superb. Uh, three was a, a huge departure. No Michael Myers. Um, yeah. Do you still recommend it? Do you do you think it was... I mean, I think the idea was that they were going to start a, an anthology, uh, which quickly failed, I guess, because of the popularity of Michael. But what, what, do you, what would you want to tell our listeners about, well, okay, three doesn't have Michael Myers. Maybe I'm not going to watch it. Would you, how would you recommend it to them? It's the Halloweeniest Halloween. It's the one that, that feels m- most like the season. And again, the score is absolutely fantastic. I mean, the plot as it goes on is <laughs> is, is a bunch of nonsense, but it kind of doesn't matter. It just has great atmosphere and uh, and uh, Tom Atkins. Yes. What you need. Tom Atkins, superstar legend. Harry... After the original trilogy, um, well, so they do four, but then the Weinsteins take over for five and six, and then... I will correct you so nobody else does. They didn't take over until six. Oh, got it, got it. was Galaxy International. Got it. Okay, so Harry, what are your thoughts on four, five, and six? Eesh, Linus got the good question. <laughs> really, for me, or where I, um, I I start having massive problems, and my my problem, unfortunately, originates with Halloween Two. That I I despise the idea of Laurie and Michael being relatives. So we move from them being relatives to now Jamie Lee Curtis did not get offered enough money to come back and do part four. And she is killed off screen and we have the Jamie character. And I, Danielle Harris is brilliant. Even as a child, everything she does as an adult is equally amazing. Her performances make that series for me watchable. The, the Dr. Loomis aspect is a little shaky because he just, he keeps coming off more and more bad at his job. At this point, <laughs> like he's this guy should not have been able to do what he is doing. He keeps really failing at this subject matter. Yeah. But then you move to that final one in the series, and Danielle's been recast. That that plot quickly changes. I love Paul Rudd. I'll I'll <laughs> give that movie the least bit of credit because Paul Rudd is amazing, and I I just have no feeling for it. I don't hate them though. I mean, I I find them really watchable and they're fun. Those were more closer to my childhood that as I was growing up, they started getting shown a lot more on TV, but I'm more uh, Rob Zombie's age. Like those were coming out when I was a teenager. So that was my, I got to go see this. This is a Halloween movie. And they've just always, it's, it's my least favorite storyline when it comes to it. If it had had a continuation from that final film with Loomis and you have the standard cut where it's just, ends and it goes to that kind of grunge rock and roll song and that's the end of the movie you 
Godzilla does this a lot, especially going into <laughs> the late 90s and 2000s. The movie will just end and it will be the greatest ending to build up the next one. And they never made that movie. It just it's gone. And we go into resurrection after that. And I'm always just like, ah, what? I don't know. So yeah. I, I guess I'm, I'm left more with a bad taste in my mouth. I've never enjoyed the I, I think part four has a, a lot of great quality to it, especially the beginning. Michael just shoving his thumb into somebody's head. And that's how it kills. He's, yeah. he's been in a coma 10 years and, and full muscle memory. Fine. Who cares? Science is out the door. <laughs> but at that point, you're in for the ride of the, the previous film had no Michael. So this next one has to have a lot of Michael. And it did. It fulfills with that. Uh, two things: thoughts on the tr- Thorn trilogy, and how you like or what you thought about that expanding of the mythology and taking it in a completely different direction than, say, Babysitters in Danger. I, I kind of like it to be honest, because you're following Halloween three, and all of this uh, Celtic mythology has been introduced, and then you move into part four. It's kind of an allowance to build on top of that, and it makes Michael Myers. You know, with the the Jason movies, he just becomes a zombie. But Michael has this reason now. There's something mythological and supernatural, and it sounds scary. So it's sort of fulfilling. I, I like where it goes. I just wish we had gotten a full conclusion to it. Excellent. Uh, actually, and I never thought of that either. I, um, For whatever reasons, I, I never connected the sort of Thorn mythology, Celtic, and then you know, the Stonehenge issue of three. I actually never really connected that. I don't know why until now. Hello, I'm waking up. Uh, and it's, then uh, <laughs> the second... A, oh, go ahead, Linus. So, sorry, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a missed opportunity there. They could have had uh, Colonel, Colonel Cochrane be behind the whole thing in six. Yeah, or there's, yes. like, no, where's our Stonehenge stone, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got that man with the black boots that you don't really see until the the final part of that Thorn trilogy. So it could have easily been him. I mean, that is the weirdest thing that's never explained. You can't just steal a part of Stonehenge. Like, what? Come on, where's where's the ending of that? (laughs) Yeah, you can't even touch it these days. Challenge accepted. I'll be right back, guys. I'm gonna go to Stonehenge. (laughs) Well, you can throw soup on Van Gogh's now, so maybe maybe you can walk away with a Stonehenge. I guess Uh, the second the second question, Harry, was gonna be producer's cut or theatrical cut because they're they're both very different uh for six uh six curse of michael myers myers i finally just saw the producer's cut and i've never seen it before and i i've got to go with that i love the more loomis centric ending and it gives a little hope even though donald pleasance had passed away right before the the finishing of this film could happen it still gives you some hope that he's going to win at the end of the day and the, the theatrical cuts just kind of depressing like man this guy just kind of wasted his whole life and has never gotten the chance to to even face evil you've got like two or three showdowns but none of them end well for dr loomis yeah and he just talks about it and apparently has no other patients so there we go i don't know how he kept his license this long but it's (laughs) that's a mystery of the halloween series itself for real maybe he had Go ahead, Linus. <laughs> so especially after spending most of five, like, screaming at a traumatized child. <laughs> and yeah. threatening to kill her. We gotta kill her. <laughs> those are very, those scenes are very cringy. Uh, I just, I rewatched all of them myself as well. Mm. Sammy, I'm going to turn to you. Harry already mentioned Resurrection. I don't think we need to go there. I mean, the editing is so horrible. I think if you watch it again, there's a scene where a, a a character reacts to something happening in the reality TV show and then f- 
10 minutes later, he walks in for the first time and is like, hey, what are you guys watching? So whoever edited that movie needs to be fired. But Sammy, um, your thoughts on H20 or Halloween 20 years later, that was a big deal. And then the zombie uh, Halloween's Halloween and Halloween 2. What would you like to tell the listeners about that? Well, um, so H2O, I liked H2O the first time I saw it. I saw it in a the theater. Uh, was kind of excited, right? Uh, Jamie Lee's back and it, it had a nice little, it had that reunion going forward and it felt like a nice homage to the to the franchise itself. As time's gone on, I haven't liked it as much as I used to, mostly because some of the acting is is pretty cringeworthy throughout most of it. I still think it holds up pretty well, though, compared to the the previous films, the previous three. Although I do like some bits of four and five, uh, and I, I do like the bonkersness of six, and I like the the idea of taking a slasher franchise, which honestly is what I think David Gordon Green and Danny McBride have done here, and kind of making it more commentary or at least trying to do something different with it than just be a special effects showcase. Now, the Rob Zombie films are something altogether different. The Rob Zombie films are, well, uh, I mean, the best way to put it is uh, it, they're the greatest example of scream acting I think I've ever seen. I didn't say screen. I said scream acting. Everybody's heightened. Everybody's yelling. Everybody's over the top, which is something Rob Zombie does. And I think that's okay. I tell you what. I tell you what I do like about the Rob Zombie, the first Halloween in particular. He did. Uh, I still argue to this day that Zombie's not the greatest filmmaker on the face of the earth, uh, but he is interesting, always interesting, and unique. And he is Rob Zombie. There is, to me, no other filmmaker that makes movies like he makes, uh, for better or worse. His use of violence and sexuality mixed together is still very well done. Uh, I still think he does that very well. He had a really great scene in Three from Hell that he used uh, nudity and violence and mixed them in, and I thought it was really just insane what he pulled off with that. And that might sound like a you know a cheap shot, but we're talking about exploitation films here, and I think you got to draw people in, and you got to be a little crazy. In turn, saying that, Halloween 2 feels like the keys to the castle version of a Rob Zombie movie. It feels like, hey, we're going to give Rob this amount of money because the first film made some money for us and we're just going to let him do whatever he wants. <laughs> and he does exactly that. And I don't even know if it makes any sense whatsoever, but I'm so thankful that it exists. Um, it, it, it's almost like a weird uh, Jodorowsky new metal film or something. Like, I don't know even know what's going on half the time. There's white horses. There's people doing all <laughs> kinds of strange things. There's uh, certainly homages to other films that he loves. And I've said this about Rob Zombie. You know, he's dangerously close. And Jose, you and I uh, and Justin will be talking more about Zombie soon. He's dangerously close to becoming the, you know, the Ray Dennis Steckler or the, uh, the uh, Andy Milligan or the whatever of his time. And in saying... And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that he's going to be this auteur of trash filmmaking that uh, I don't think anybody else can touch him right now. Um, I, I, Fred Owen Ray was this guy for a while, uh, much more prolific than Zombie. But these guys, I think they think their films are important, um, <laughs> which is all I need. I, I, I want them to think their films are important, and I'm happy with that. But man, I tell you, it, it, Rob Zombie says he's never done drugs and all these other things. 
He was doing something during Halloween. Wait, what? <laughs> he says he's never done drugs. I'm pretty sure he says he's been clean his whole life, as far as I, I know. So. I cry bullshit. once i mean something one time maybe (laughs) one time although you know honestly like clive barker gives these interviews and it's like all this comes out of your head like you seem normal to me so uh but yeah zombie is yeah he's something yeah he he is something he's uh unique and uh i give him credit for that And, and he's not for everybody when somebody tells me they hate those halloween films i'm like yeah i got you i understand it i totally get it I don't hate the first one, and I certainly don't hate the second one. I appreciate both of them for what they are, um, which is just this unique vision from a unique filmmaker, odd filmmaker, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who makes odd choices and seems obsessed with abusive rednecks, like to a point that like, even makes yeah, to a point that makes somebody who's grown up around abusive rednecks even awkwardly uncomfortable, like. <laughs> hey, we're, we're not we're, we're not uh, you know some of us are we're, even the bad ones we're not that bad <laughs> <laughs> makes you wonder what happened to rob right something had to have happened. i think he grew up in california i thought but yeah. so i don't know what he's talking about it was one vacation trip and that's all it needed <laughs> something yeah. happened while listening to kiss too because it always is somehow kiss centric that even like michael myers is wearing a kiss shirt when he does his first kill in that movie it, it the movie i think begins with god of thunder or something like that playing ha- ro- the halloween michael myers oh, jesus halloween rob zombies <laughs> first film yeah. but uh, it's always rednecks and kiss that it's i mean i think he's a kiss fan you'd assume he is but something happened at some point in his life <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I think Go the ahead. whole zombie Rob Zombie universe is just killer rednecks and stuff and violent yeah. rednecks. Well, and he's also like uh and maybe to a lesser degree or depending on your taste. I mean, he's a pop culture filmmaker. He's a guy raised on pop culture. Right? Like your Tarantinos yeah. and and Paul Thomas Andersons and these guys. Uh, maybe to a lesser extent maybe lesser talented, but certainly interesting and pop culture is in everything he does. It's mostly horror centric sci-fi. It's in his music. Uh, you know, there's always some kind of weird, um, well, what used to be obscure film piece or, or some type of sample in his music. Nowadays, not so much because a lot of that stuff is, uh, a lot of people are into it now. But for a while there, you know, he was, you know, the brain that wouldn't die would be in a song or something else. And a lot of people didn't, you know, know what this stuff was. So he's always been very pop centric. And I think that his films feel like that. They almost feel like, like pop culture vomit in some weird way. <laughs> yes. He's regurgitating all this stuff that he's ingested his whole life. And I well, will I, say to show my age that Rob Zombie, including all those clips in his music videos growing up, that did introduce me to quite a bit of those brain wouldn't die, even some of the classic stuff. So yeah. Rush Meyer films for yeah. some people. Yeah. I, I never learned who Rob Zombie was until I listened to the matrix soundtrack kill me i i just <laughs> i heard dragula for the first time and i was like who is this guy and i mean that I might have like, been Whoa. it for me too to be honest yeah i'm sorry harry you were harry you were gonna say something bringing up andy milligan just kind of hit me with a ton of bricks because i've never thought of rob zombie in that perspective before and i am certainly guilty of projecting a lot of more more dislike on rob's work than i like things and i'm an, a big andy milligan fan i love how awful his movies are and when you look at it from that perspective it actually is a little bit enlightening looking at his work like i love lords of salem and it's a really unfinished movie there there could have been so much more added and it, it seems drastically confusing but man you you look at what he had to work with and you mix somebody like 
Andy Milligan, who's is overall kind of disliked by most people. Yeah. It, it gives you a deeper appreciation because Rob Zombie's nowhere near that level, but I mo- more people often than not are going to just hate his movies no matter what he does. And it's, it is unfortunate because I agree with you, especially on what you said about Rob Halloween one and two. I always want to con- combine the words and call it like Rob's Halloween zombie. Like I, I, I <laughs> it has to be separate because it's not in the same series, but it is quite a mouthful that by no means are they bad films, but they are departures from what I think an average watcher of the series kind of wanted. And yeah. I, I just recently as well with the, uh, the the director's cut of part six saw the director's cut, the full version of Halloween two. And I always heard how bad the white horse stuff was. And I didn't, I didn't hate it. It's, yeah. it's very different, but it, for what the end of that movie is, it worked for that product and it was mm-hmm. out there certainly, but I got it. It made sense with what he was trying, what story he was trying to tell. And right. I enjoy it for that aspect. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like uh, firewalk with me for dummies. But in a good way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or, or like a newfangled Blade Runner horror, <laughs> right? <laughs> it just Life goes, runner. It's it's uncomfortable, <laughs> I think, when you take away what people want from the series and when you kind of humanize Michael a little bit, especially in the first movie with the little white trash Michael growing up, and it's like. I understand why you can hate that. Of well, yeah, he had an abusive white trash dad. A lot of us did. It happens sometimes. <laughs> That's no one has to be a serial killer over it. And it seems like he had a lot of ideas to push in that movie that just didn't get to come out fully. And that that seems like a problem with a lot of Rob Zombie films is he has ideas and studios don't like those ideas. Yeah, one of the things I love about Rob Zombie, but I also loathe about Rob Zombie, is I love that he wants to go back and grab these stars that he grew up with and mm-hmm. and put them in his movies because, you know, he probably wants to work with them and he wants to meet them and just like we all do. But I also loathe that he brings them into films, too, because they always usually have a bad wig or a bad uh, facial hair decision or bad clothing. It's 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 always like, I'm so glad you got to meet that person. But, wow, you brought him back to do that. Right. <laughs> it's like. I'm going to cast E.T.'s mom and then yeah. I'm going to tragically kill her violently <laughs> and slowly. I'm going to say um, she didn't scream enough in Cujo. I want her to scream <laughs> even more. Even more. So I'm going to bring in Michael Berryman and Devil's Rejects and right. have him talk about fucking a chicken. <laughs> yeah, that's the greatest light. Jesus, God. So um, I will I will just let you know, I, I watched all of them before I saw Halloween Ends. And uh, one night I tried to do Rob Zombie's Halloween and then follow it with Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. I got about 15 minutes into Halloween 2 with all the screaming. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, my stomach was already churning from watching the first one. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm shutting this off. I'm, I'm going to watch, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something and just go <laughs> yeah, to bed. Yeah. It is the most aggressively Rob Zombie movie I think there is mm. up until, well, maybe 31 then eventually. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, a lot of genuine emotion, though, especially between yes. the, the Laurie Strode character. And I can't remember. Or Daniel Harris is playing the, the cop's daughter that they Annie. their friendship is so believable. Mm-hmm. And Annie mm-hmm. really cares for Laurie. And when spoilers, what happens to Annie happens, it hurts. That's mm-hmm. it is, does. It breaks you. And it uh, so much of it is Daniel Harris. It's amazing seeing her as a child and in uh, four five and six or four and five. And then she as an adult is 
just as powerful that sometimes you have with child actors. They, they get that screaming out and it never happens again. But man, she is a true scream queen. Yeah. yeah. Also She's credit fantastic. to Brad Dourif and for yeah, that scene yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 He really oh, sells God. it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, that Halloween film that zombie did. I mean, I remember leaving the theater thinking that is both an homage, homage and just a very cruel movie. Mm-hmm. And it ends with "Love Hurts," that sweet Nazareth cover. Yes, <laughs> you just reflect on like, my God, this was sad. Hurts. I didn't expect oh to feel something today. Oh wow! Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's general credit to Rob. With I, th- I think these are some of his strongest films, really, because he he manages to even if you hate the movie. Some of the violence is not just indicative of violence for the sake of violence, that it, it tells the story and it shows the pain. And a lot of the whole series, and I think especially David Gordon Green's films, are about trauma and dealing with trauma. And Rob Zombie wrapped that up in two films with a lot of extra trauma for the audience. Walking home, you're just kind of yeah. like, man, what the hell? Yeah. I'm you know, and trauma. he also, in the first movie, he also managed to cohesively string together the fact that they were related in a way that that's visceral and easy to understand, which Carpenter couldn't do in two films. And then, you know, all right, well, actually, that's a good segue, trauma, David Gordon Green, because here we go, folks. Uh, Halloween ends. Uh, This one premiered day and date. It's already kicking up quite the storm on Twitter. And just just really quickly, David Gordon Green, I didn't realize I'd seen so many of his films, but he's directed things like, you know, Pineapple Express, but then he's also done these great indie dramas like um, Prince Avalanche, uh, Joe with Ty Sheridan and Nick Cage, as well as George Washington, which is part of the Criterion Collection. I will say that again. It's part of the Criterion Collection. And here we go. David Gordon Green has, you know, decided to do three films and and redo Halloween. Um, I won't rehash one and two, but suffice it to say two was just as polarizing in some ways. This one, Mm -hmm. the third chapter, uh, in sort of a James Bond kind of thing where you know, there's two main writers and then they're each movie, they're joined by a different writer on this one, rather than a different third writer, they have two different writers, Paul, Brad Logan and Chris Bernier. So there's actually four writers credited on this. In addition to John Carpenter and Deborah and Deborah Hill. Let's start with Linus. Uh, We're going to do spoiler free thoughts on Halloween ends. Linus, we'll start with you. And then when everybody's done, we will go into spoilers. Yeah, well, it's it's hard to talk about this movie without getting to spoilers because, uh, I mean, the, the 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 major plot points are very spoiler heavy. They are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. Um, overall, I, I I quite enjoyed it. I think it's a bit of a hot mess, and it sort of aims for a lot and falls short. But I kind of like you know like that it tried. If if I were a, if I were a teacher marking uh, a small child's homework which was halloween ends i'd give it a well-tried sticker mm. excellent excellent before we move on you know as i as i had stated before there there's definitely a divisive quality about mm. this if somebody were to say hey people are telling me it's the worst thing ever um, mm. without spoilers what would you have to say to somebody who, who has that reaction or, or hears is- it <laughs> There, there are several Halloween films worse than this one. 
<laughs> I would yes. agree with that. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe Excellent. no more true a statement will be said tonight than that. <laughs> <laughs> and then what before we move before we move on to Harry, Linus, um, how do you think this fits in contextually with uh, the other David Gordon Green films as a, as a trilogy? Is this smooth walk-in, or is this something? <laughs> no, this this is, is is a bit of a shambles. This is the uh, this is the rise of Skywalker of uh, of the <laughs> trilogy. But uh, I kind of enjoyed that for similar reasons. It was just you know, I don't know maybe lowered expectations by that point, and I'm just like yeah, whatever. I'll I, I'll go with it, and uh, yeah, I had fun. Actually, I lied. One last thing: any <laughs> any any performances that stood out to you from this film um, in the well, cast? Obviously, uh, well, uh, Jamie Lee is less one note than she is in uh, the other two movies, which I appreciated, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, given the end of the last film. And uh, what's his name? Uh, oh God, his name sounds like Roman Candle. Rowan cool. Campbell. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Although heretofore forever, Roman Candle. Yeah. Yes, uh, I thought he did well um, and uh, evoked. Uh, well, the whole film uh, reminded me a lot of a uh, another film in uh, this wheelhouse, which I shan't mention yet because it's kind of spoilery. Got it. Hold that thought, Harry. Spoiler-free thoughts. Halloween ends. When I walked out of the theater, I was a bit upset and I was very confused. I, I drastically thought this was a departure from the other two films. And I went home and immediately watched it on Peacock. And I don't know, I, I think I had gone into it assuming a lot. I was chanting evil ends tonight the whole way. <laughs> I a Michael Myers mask with me. I was into it. Like I really was, was I've all month pre prepping for this. I've watched Halloween. So it's just Michael Myers morning, day, noon and night. And I walked in expecting something. I think that's a little bit of a problem is expecting anything at all. And I went home and when I watched it again, something just, I don't think something changed with me. I, I watched the movie for what it was, and I didn't look for anything I was expecting. And I quite enjoyed it the second time. And it, it's taken days of thought, but the, the more and more I think about it, I, I found it a, a, a quite proper ending for this trilogy following the 1978 film and moving into this. I think a lot of what we focus on is trauma and building a boogeyman and i think a lot of it is political for a lot of what's happening and happened in the united states in the last four to eight years with the presidency and the general attitude of people and how a lot of collective nonsense like people like alex jones can just say things that people believe but we find out later you, know, you have to pay a billion dollars because you lied and uh, your lies are hurtful and you have that evil dies tonight mentality and you move into the trauma of those victims with Halloween ends and you're dealing with them becoming new people. It, it took some reflection, but I, I think what you have is a, is a solid ending for this trilogy. If you look at it as an ending for Halloween in general, you're going to be a little upset. I think, well, with any movie, and this is why I try to avoid the trailers, expectations are certainly something that you need to sort of wrestle with as any viewer going into something, especially something like this with a franchise, all of the marketing really depicts that sort of final battle, Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. Without doing spoilers, how did you feel about the marketing versus 
what you saw. The marketing made it seem like this was going to be in the exact same vein as Halloween Kills. It it seemed like this was going to be an ultra-violent movie where Michael Myers is just this evil shark from Jaws, just hunting and killing the the, the black doll's eyes. And it's not. It, I, I really feel the advertising kind of tricked you in, in the sense of just come and see it, and then like the Halloween 3, Tommy Lee Wallace's film is drastically different Halloween 3 with Tommy Lee Wallace does not have Michael Myers this film Michael Myers is a character but you are led into a lot more emotion than what you previously have before but it almost counteracts the other two films and makes violence the antithesis that people will not get over it and will crave fear will crave violence and sometimes I, I can't finish my sentence because it's going to be a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> I can't figure out a way to word it, so I got to cut myself off. I got it. I got it. Okay. Uh, segwaying to you. All right. Uh, so I had an interesting experience with this one. Uh, I didn't make it to the theater for this, but I do have Peacock, so I watched it at home on the old home theater. Got fired it up. Uh, I knew some mutual friend of ours, uh, especially one particular mutual friend of ours, really didn't like it. Um, and I knew a few other people who didn't like it, and uh, that always kind of gets me excited because when somebody has that strong a response to something, it means the movie is something. It might not be any good. I might have the same response, but at least it's going to give me some kind of you know visceral response. I'm either going to love it or hate it probably. I do fall more on the side of loving this. I also quite enjoy Kills. I like all three of the films. And uh, I like what Gordon Green and... McBride and others have done with this franchise in that I've, I've said this, I know, I know Jose, me and you've been part of some text exchanges over the past year where I've kind of said this, that Gordon Green and them decided to take this interesting approach where they almost make Michael Myers, this sympathetic character and Laurie Strode, this like overly violent, like right wing destructive force uh, in some kind of weird way. But I think that I like what they did with that because they come back around to this one and I enjoyed the ideas behind this one. They don't all land. I kind of agree with Linus on that aspect. And they are a bit wonky at times. But I like the ideas and I can't really talk about the ideas too much without spoiling it. So I won't. I will save that for the back end. But I will just say that to take a slasher film and make it where you actually have to think and you actually have to process what you're watching. Slasher films are made to really just generate a thrill. They're really just made, you think about all the slasher films that collectively the five of us have watched in our lifetimes, the majority of those, I would say 95% of those, we're watching for one reason and one reason only, and it's the kills typically. Uh, maybe nudity, maybe something else, but typically that's what it is. And... What I think I enjoyed about this trilogy is it's almost a cerebral slasher trilogy in that it's playing with societal norms. It's playing with societal upheaval. And it's also playing with evil as a concept. And I, I don't want to say any more than that. And I'll leave it at that. But I really enjoyed this. I think the performances are good. I do think it is weird that Jamie Lee Curtis's character is like this wild grandma all of a sudden in this one. Like she's talking about getting her tits out and everything else. And, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, all I'm thinking is, please do so. But <laughs> you know, it, at the same time, I'm, th I'm thinking, okay, well, she's just decided she's going to cut this 
she's moved on. She's going to like so many people and victims of trauma or PTSD. They're like, at some point they reach a breaking point. They're like, you know what? I'm cutting this out of my life. It's not part of my life anymore. I refuse to accept it. I refuse to acknowledge it. And yet she spends the whole movie acknowledging it. So it's a very strange uh, take on that character. And then some of the stuff they do with some of the other characters, which again, I can't really talk about without spoiling the film. But I, what, I, what I find most interesting is everybody's having this visceral reaction of hatred. Not everybody. I shouldn't say everybody. But some people are. And yet it reminds me when Halloween 3 came out. <laughs> when Halloween 3 came out, I can remember being a young kid. And I remember people hated Halloween 3. I mean, they hated it. And why did they hate it? Because they went to the movies and they thought they were going to see Michael Myers. They went to the movies and they thought they were going to see a Michael Myers movie. And they saw something completely different. And they didn't know how to accept that at first. And I think expectations play a really strong part in this trilogy. I don't think any of us expected anything that's happened in these three films, uh, rightly or wrongly. I don't think any of us have expected any three of these films to play out the way they have. And they've been box office. I mean, this is number one at the box office this weekend, $41 million, uh, which continues horror's you know, dominance of box office, which will always be there. The first film only cost $10 million. I mean, it made $255 million. Think about that for a minute. Nobody yeah, that talks first about one was it. insanely profitable. Yeah. So these movies make money, but I think they make money mostly for the, let's get out there and let's see some violence. Let's, you know, we're getting away with something. We're seeing things like, you know, the stuff my son, who's 12 years old, he's interested in, right? I want to see something that I'm not allowed to see. Same thing I grew up thinking and everything else. I think this movie actually allows you to go in and see something you didn't think you were going to see. And I think some people were soured by that experience. Uh, for me, I feel like this one, I walked away from it with a lot to chew on. And I think it's a very smart movie. Messy, but I think it's very smart. And uh, each, so you're right. It's very uh, cerebral, almost philosophical, and it's bent in some ways. Um, hell, they even mentioned Nietzsche, right? They yeah, even mentioned yeah. philosophers, okay? Um, well, I mean, there, there, there's a scene in this movie where on a wall somewhere, I mean, everything in this movie, there's, there's so many moments. I'll probably talk about it more in spoilers, but I mean, everything is done on purpose. There's a reason why a certain character goes into a tube, comes out a tube, a different person. Exactly. <laughs> the scene you're talking about it was uh, even a moment in the theater where I realized, hold on a second, there's something going on here. It's been bothering me since I saw yeah. it. I'm, I'm so happy we'll get to talk about that later. Yeah. They know what they're doing here. This isn't this isn't uh, message filmmaking by accident. This is this is intentional. All this stuff I believe is intentional. There's actually some graffiti I think in the background that said "Love Lives Tonight" or something yes. like that. Yes, uh, which is the counterbalance to evil dies tonight, right? Yeah, and, but it was you kind of nice to see that. It. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's just it's interesting to me that not, I I just don't think anybody wants that. I think what uh, well, not anybody. We shouldn't say that. That that that's a broad determination. I just think people wanted to go into it, and they wanted to see a good old fashioned slasher. And look, I'm the first person that will jump in on board and go see a good old fashioned slasher. I watch them time and time again. I show people bad slashers all the time. It's 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 part of my love of cinema, especially the really bad slashers. But at the same time, I went into this fully blank slate, didn't know what to experience, just let it wash over me. And I think that helps. I think that helped me process what this film was or what Gordon Green, McBride and team were trying to 
uh, trying to prove. Awesome. I do think I will say that I do think the film's too long though. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a complaint lately, right? It's like yeah, oh, you could I mean, shave ten minutes, twenty minutes, I mean, it's an hour and fifty-one minutes. It's it's a pretty it, it's a it's a pretty long one. Yeah. Well, not like I mean, that. Terrifier too. Okay. I might be seeing that this week because I like the first, and even I'm still like two hours and like 18 minutes or so. How? Might be Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 you're going to see. (laughs) Oh, maybe. Isn't that twice as long as the first Terrifier? Yeah, I think think at least an hour longer. Yeah, because that first one was short. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Justin, you're up. All right. So. First, I want to say, I think all three of you are kind of right on the money. A lot of the response I'm getting it from some of our fellow podcasting friends, also just some general friends who 100% watch this with the idea of it being a slasher in mind and who told me that if they had a time machine and they could only use it once, they would go back in time and not watch this movie, which is very hyperbolic. But for them, they had it. They did not expect what Gordon Green did with this. They wanted a Halloween slasher, and to them, this was an insult. While I will admit that similar to Hellraiser last week, I ultimately did not like this. I loved what it was going for. Uh, One of the things I've liked about David Gordon Green's trilogy, first and foremost, is the fact that even the first one that he did, it's always been about trauma. I think that's where we'll get to it more with spoilers, but when people are saying this took a different bent, It's more psychological and slower, sure, but this idea that it's about trauma and how we react to evil, that's been there since his first one. I Honestly, there's parts of me, especially the more I think about this movie, almost feels like there's this is kind of evocative of we need to talk about Kevin. There's actually a scene very Mm. early on that feels a lot like a scene from that film where Lori has a very nice moment. She's coming out smiling from a grocery store, talking to the sheriff, and then somebody whose family was a victim of Michael Myers and Halloween kills confronts her because they can't, they don't know how to wrestle with this exactly what happened. And we need to talk about Kevin when the mother of the school shooter encounters other mothers years later, like, how can you be happy? I don't like this idea. So for people going into this, not wanting that I I understand. And I actually love that they tip their hat immediately because the opening font in this is Cribbed from Halloween three season of the witch. So right away, I'm like, yeah. I have a feeling something's up here. <laughs> Where I think I struggled yep. with this, and we have discussed Halloween kill section quite a few times on the show, Jose, because you had been re-watching them when we first started this show. Is when it came to Halloween kills, which I still liked more as a straight slasher because that went bonkers. But again, I appreciated everything that he was going for with the social commentary. The evil dies tonight. That mentality. It's anybody who says that's not a reality that's 100% based on reality from decades and decades where I think it faltered for a lot of people, even to me, was the handling of it did come off as very melodramatic. And at that point, I had the theory that he had mentioned in interviews that he not used to directing like horror movies like this that have big especially halloween kills big almost action set pieces yes he did pineapple express but as you mentioned it was that he's more known for your george washington your prince avalanche your joe which are almost more subtle and human in their drama as opposed to being more overt and after watching halloween ends i think i know where he might be coming from in that i think he's trying to take that approach but commercialize it because i feel like he 
thinks that because these are slashers and these are more mainstream movies, that that brand of drama won't work. So he needs to be a little bit more open with it. And what happens for me in this one, mainly with the young cast, and I don't think anybody gives a bad performance. I think everybody is good, but the writing and the way that they are directed to perform, especially, and we'll get to it more with spoilers, but the introduction of a new character just came off too soapy and melodramatic for my tastes and considering how deep and i loved the themes that they're playing with with guilt uh with sometimes even kind of repression but all these themes and i feel like it almost undercut that because it it almost made it i mean to go back to those youth adult novels kind of in that area not as bad as like something you would see on like a degrassi or even cobra kai that approach but those two elements didn't always work Without going into spoilers, some of the decisions that are really upsetting a lot of people, I actually really like the concept for. And especially when we're at a 13th film in a franchise, I love it when people take chances. Yes, I had a visceral reaction to Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 when it came out, and I still don't like it. But I've circled back around to, to Sammy's point of at least I felt something. The worst film thing a film could do is be boring or just make me go, yeah, it's all right. And having revisited a lot of these movies recently, I still have a soft spot for four and five it looks good in that. But the problem with five is it's just kind of there. It's fine, but it doesn't really elicit much. And this is a film that especially having seen it, and I did go to a theater uh, to see this uh, on Thursday night, and it definitely got a very mixed reaction from the crowd. I've been chewing on it more, and I think it also helps that since everybody is really, there's very vocal majority trashing on this is making me want to appreciate it even more. I love the chances it's taking. It might not have come together completely for me, but I will say right now, I expect, you mentioned with Halloween 3, Sammy, five to 10 years from now, maybe even sooner, this whole trilogy, but specifically this one, will be reevaluated because people are going to go back and they're going to re- not go in with the expectation that they had. And they're either going to soften order or come around to it, or the ones that still hate it will move on because, let's be honest, they're going to reboot this franchise again. There's going to be more Michael Myers. Or there's going to be more. Yeah, yeah. There's always now we we have that. It's easier, too, because you don't have to tie everything together. You can just say, hey, we're doing our own thing now. So they're going to forget about it. And I 100 percent feel I might even come around even more on this because I've thought about this more than I have kills and even the first, his first Halloween, which I really enjoyed. And I thought did a great job of handling trauma while mixing in with the slasher elements and balancing the two. So I do feel that this was a miss, but not as not even close to the worst Halloween movie. This is, this is one of the more ambitious ones. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I it's a respectable miss in my mind. And you know they're going to make more of them. I mean, you got a $50 million investment across three films mm-hmm. and a half a billion dollar return. Exactly. And um, I already have the tagline for the next movie. Evil never dies. There <laughs> you go. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Change his shape. Exactly. There you go. I like that one. Yeah. That's actually really good. It's I pumpkin like pies tonight. That's what it is. <laughs> pumpkin, pumpkin pies tonight. So, you know, I love it. I think I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall kind of where Justin is coming from and echoing a lot of points that you guys have already said, which is I went in expecting this to be a slasher like Halloween Kills, that it was going to be cat and mouse, uh, Laurie versus Michael the whole time. And it wasn't. 
Um, yeah. I did not go to the theater. I did stream it. Um, I do think that it's complete misdirection and then starting with a new character and all of this. That was all fine. But to me, it was kind of like I came to see a Halloween movie. This is not a Halloween movie. But, you know... I will always champion a filmmaker that takes a big swing, even if it's not complete, completely executed well. And they are definitely ambitious and swinging for the fences with this. There's also a little part of me that thinks that Danny McBride, since we all know him as a comedian and a smart ass, that he and Gordon Green cooked this up entirely just to for two reasons. One, to skullfuck all of the Halloween franchise fans right who have seen all of them worship all of them watch all of them all the time at halloween so i think they did it just to play with us one um and then two in a way to reset it for a new generation for them to experience everything all of us experienced watching the original one through three and then the subsequent sequels and then the 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 rob zombie rebirth and the and the h20 and there's a reason why i took you guys all through all of that because i think that when you look at this trilogy gordon green's trilogy they've practically borrowed a lot of the things that were memorable even about the crappy sequels right mm-hmm. so the mysticism the evil is this thing and michael's just one representation of it um the sort of extreme um violence and caricatureness of like the the rob zombie with the psychological and the motivational factor of those rob zombie films um and then of course just the original characters and and then the original setup is played through one and two and then the holy crap what are we watching in halloween three season of the witch and so i think there was a concerted effort. I believe that there was a concerted effort over probably many pot brownies and edibles to sort of take the DNA of the really great stuff out of the franchise or the stuff that really sort of hit home or was memorable and spread it out over three movies. Yeah. For me, it is. I think, it, I think I think there's one other thing. The they they make these and they can finance their own projects too because these guys, these two guys, they bought a mall or a big Sears in North Carolina, I think, and they've turned it into a little studio. Oh, I and didn't I know think that. that. Yeah, I think they like to finance their project, but I think I agree with you on the other thing. They probably want to finance their edible budget as well. <laughs> and I do want to just add, I believe this was originally supposed to just be, in their mind, Gordon Green, McBride, just two movies. And obviously the studio's like, no, money, let's do three, a trilogy. Sure. So I think that plays a factor too, because I don't know, that might explain why Halloween Kills kind of feels dragged out or even. Yeah, ha- Halloween fills. <laughs> nice feels nice. with them pumpkin pies daddy yeah <laughs> it was kind and of I, funny leaving the theater i i live in the town danny mcbride grew up in and two teens wearing halloween kills masks were walking out and they'd taken off their masks and one of them was going fuck danny mcbride <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's kind of a local celebrity here he went to a local high school he, he moved sure. from georgia to this area in virginia so i was just like man that's that's so cold-blooded poor Danny. Yeah. <laughs> all right so here i think we're gonna we're gonna sum up all of our thoughts each i'm gonna say one last thing and then I'll, we'll do that round table and then we'll segue into spoilers because i think we all really want to talk about this but mm-hmm. the one thing i was gonna say was if you watched one and two and were 
dismayed by the awful fright wig that made Jamie Lee Curtis look like Doc Brown. That <laughs> that is different in this. They now put on a new hairpiece for her, and she looks fantastic. Um, anyway, so I'll Rob start. Zombie s wig. Rob Zombie s wig. It's um, so fantastic. They actually have to bring it up in a scene in the movie mm, where someone mm. says, "Your hair looks good." Like <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> that was probably Jamie's decree. She's like, "You make sure somebody brings up the fact that we fixed the wig." Ten thousand gigawatts of horror. Um, okay, so I, I'll start with mine. It's it's a it's a soft skip it, but. Uh, just like Justin said, and everybody said, I can definitely see people who are vehemently against it right now, revisiting it and saying, you know what? I don't know what I was on. Maybe it was the edible, but it's actually good. <laughs> so, uh, Justin, uh, just shadowing that specifically, uh, a soft skip for me. It's close to getting to watch territory, especially the more I think about it. And I can see myself, Coming back to this next year or whenever and saying, okay, more of this does work, especially the melodrama, since I know that it's going to be as heavy in it, I might take to it better uh, on a rewatch for now. Soft skip, but nowhere near the travesty I think a lot of people are making it out to be. Linus? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a watch. It's uh, echoing what everyone else has said. It, uh, a lot of it doesn't work, but my brain was able to sort of fill in the blanks and make it work because what they were going for was quite interesting. Harry? I think it's a certain watch for me. You have to look at this as a trilogy replicating the emotions of the first trilogy. And if you are an adamant fan of Halloween 3, I think you really need to rewatch this movie if you've already seen it and have that allowance to look at what it is almost parroting. I, I think it is a complimentary piece to Halloween 3 in the sense that they separate drastically from the myth of Michael Myers. Hard watch. Excellent. Sam? Yeah, I agree. Hard watch, watch hard, however you want to do it. <laughs> I, I think it's it, it's a much better film than people are giving it credit for. And it is, uh, it's deeper than I think anybody maybe wanted a Halloween film to be. Um, and maybe that's that's the problem, but yeah, I, I think people should watch it. And definitely the whole trilogy, I think, will be rewarded in time. Excellent. So anybody listening to this now who hasn't seen it, you're going to want to turn this off. Because yeah. we're going spoilers, people. We're going way spoilers. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this, actually, the spoiler discussion by saying that when I, f when I first turned this on, because I did stream it and I was watching the more that they started introducing the Rowan, the Rowan Campbell's character, um, uh, Corey Cunningham, the more that I was going into this, I was like, oh boy, what is happening? Um, and there is a frightening sort of like opening where we see the setting up of Corey Cunningham's trauma and what is going to obviously change his life. Um, it also caused me to spit out my Chinese food while I was eating. When the it actually the, made me think of you, because well, yeah. as we all know, you almost got canceled for what happens in the opening of this movie. <laughs> so you know, the he ends up killing the the kid that he's babysitting, and they set it up in a way where you know any quote unquote witnesses to it, it does sound like he's being violent towards the kid when that is not the situation at all. Um, again, I spit up my um, Chinese food when the kid like sort of like bounced off the hardwood floors. I mean, that was like. 
uh, very visceral and scary thing to open a movie with. But I'll open this to spoilers discussion by saying, you know, obviously that continues. And and I don't think you even see Michael Myers for like 50 minutes close to an hour. Mm. I mean, what was going on in your minds as you guys were starting to watch this and, and realizing, holy crap, we're, we're starting with a new character and almost a brand new story. What's happening? I was kind of interested in the fact that that his his name was almost a hint toward the rest of the film. And as I progressed through the movie, I couldn't help but think, like, you know what? This really has reminded me of another John Carpenter movie. <laughs> this this really seems like it may or may not be a full remake of Christine. And we, we move from Arnie Cunningham into Corey Cunningham, and they're mirror characters at some points, down to, I think, Corey's mother is a little bit more intense than Arnie's mother, but it it's, which it's the same story. It's all about dealing with trauma, dealing with uh, Christine, not so much trauma, but the idea of that character being called to, there's a scene where him and his best friend are driving down the road and he screams at him to stop. And it's the car that's sort of calling to him. And I think that's exactly what happened in this situation that you have this, idea of michael being evil incarnate that michael myers is immortal that he is the absolute fear and everything that could be encompassed in terror and he's in fact just an old man and that evil kind of exists within the air and we had been discussing earlier that there's a lot of nietzsche references in the film and the fact that he moves into this tunnel and when he comes out he's something different that it's the abyss and it's it's all this fear perpetuated especially in, in real politics, the last few years, there's so much hate that exists within the United States that I think with the first two films, they captured it in this this monumental rush of a feeling, evil dies tonight, and you start sympathizing with Michael over this mass hysteria, and you have the events of Halloween Kills where another mental patient is chased to their death, and it, it's, it's traumatic. It's such a disgusting, heartbreaking film, but the reality within that is and it's funny that there you know certain politicians and the 45th president would would claim there's a witch hunt that's coming against me and it's this opposition where you are burning these these fields of people alive you're claiming they're witches you're starting this terror all over again and with halloween ends it's the repercussions of that terror and dealing with it and admitting you were wrong and it it it's rather miraculous at the end product because I had such strong, I hated it when I walked out and then I started thinking and was like, you know what? This, this really takes the time that, that we're living in and encompasses it into this theatrical, terrible villain that is Michael Myers. And it humanizes. Sometimes they're just old men. That's what, that's what they are. They're just old men. And that's what I didn't want to finish saying earlier that that's what we find out. Michael Myers is, he's just an old man. And that evil lives within all of us. It's there's there's an untapped potential of being visceral and evil. But do you want to look into that abyss? Sort of question. And it's that's much more of a question than I think any Halloween film has asked previously. And I think it was courageous of the of the the four screenwriters that they make the Stro Laurie Strode character realize that you know. It wasn't just all about her and it wasn't all about this, you know, brother that went psycho and was trying to kill her. There was collateral damage. There was, you know, innocent people who died who were affected by this whole incident. 
In fact, that's pretty much what Kills was about, was about how that whole incident just affected the entire town and, and brought them to this like heightened state of, of paranoia in some ways. And, you know, uh, somebody mentioned uh, the scene where she's coming out of the grocery store and she's happy. And then the woman's like, oh, what did you get? Why are you happy? You know, hey, check out, you know, my relative who had her throat slashed. And it's the woman who uh, was uh, seemingly murdered in the first movie with the with the older gentleman. Um, And it's sort of like, you know, we don't want you to be happy because you sort of cause this kind of stuff, you know. And yeah, um, yeah, that was that was rough, but I think it was from where they were starting at and, and using two as a jumping off point and then maybe setting it in the context of, you know, well, what happens after the trauma, after you decide to move on, there's still going to be lingering threads of stuff that catches up with you. Yeah. It I mean, they're, they're like blame, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're blaming, you know, her because Michael Myers is not around, right? Some right. of the the evil dust tonight is still there. Some of that mock, uh, that uh, not mock, but that mob mentality is still there, and they're blaming her for all these ills of this of this uh, small town, this small town USA, and that's just because they can't find the other one because Michael Myers is essentially he's like he's almost cowering, with uh, and hiding and biding his time until he can uh, find a way out, maybe or maybe he isn't released because. He has to be released. There's a whole theory there too, which I maybe, might do. Maybe he just retired. Maybe he was just going to yeah. chill it, yeah. chill in, chill in the sewer like a ninja turtle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was just had his comics, and he was like, <laughs> yeah. "This Corey kid had to come in and ruin everything." I mean, it. You know, the it's not a good time to retire. I can tell Mike that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's why he was in a sewer pipe. You know, he found that out the hard way. Yeah. But I mean, his 401k might be better than mine, so yeah. I can't really say. <laughs> Did we get a sense? So the the homeless man that's sort of in that area where Michael is in in the pipe, um, you know, he sort of mentions like he's always pulling bodies in there or this and that. Mm. And I sort of got the sense that, you know, when when Corey he's, like feeds him, feed me, feed me, Michael. Yeah. Um, it almost seemed like he needed to kill in order to revive himself yeah or was i reading up. that wrong no no i, got I, I think that you're too. on the money shaking even at that point like yeah, he's yeah. limping a little bit more and he he doesn't quite have balance and then he does mm. that first kill and it's like it it becomes ethereal and a part of him mm. but it also yeah. seems like we've completely neglected that laurie is taking the blame for all of this throughout the town and people are mad at her but we learn in the first movie that it's she's completely inconsequential. She's not Michael's sister mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. is killing no matter what that you have this whole subplot with his doctor, the, the replacement for Loomis. And that just disappears once his character is dead. And I, I thought at some point that the, the, the hate on Lori seemed like we were looking at almost a different series here that this guy had at some point that they told the police, I know her granddaughter had talked about the doctor, was dropping him off at Lori's compound and that's why all of this happened. So when she walks out of the grocery store and is so quickly blamed, it almost looks like a different character. And then we start focusing on the changes and what's happening with Michael and whatever's going on inside of that tunnel with him. And and like Linus was saying, it really is like he's retired 
And then you've yeah. got the face in the wall. And that's the thing that yeah, yeah, that's what threw me off with the movie is the first time I saw it, I didn't think much of it. But when I watched it again, it started hitting me, especially with the Nietzsche reference at the radio station. There's something more to the face in the tunnel that he he carved his own face into the wall to look at himself. As we learn in Halloween Kills, mm. he wasn't looking out at Haddonfield. He was looking at himself. He's looking at almost like his own fetishization, I know I didn't say that word right, of evil, that he's like fetishized himself as maybe the ultimate evil. It's almost reminded me of the Joker, the, uh, the, the new Joker movie of him looking in the mirror and painting his face and insisting on being called the Joker, that we have this old man, but he has been made to believe all these years incarcerated and then escaping that he is the ultimate evil. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't he assume that he is you know, evil incarnate at that point. Yeah. What we needed was a whole bunch of scenes of Michael Myers over the series eavesdropping. Like <laughs> yeah, he, needed to oh, okay. he got like <laughs> one spot with like him kind of eavesdropping on Lori at the yeah. house. So. Like, it, like some Kyocera cars are watching teenagers have sex with Mike's like, oh, I think they're talking about me. Shh, shh, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> He's built into his own hype. Yeah. <laughs> or even like, behind. Or maybe even like Pennywise, if he was like gazing from like the sewer, whatever. <laughs> maybe. Bike. I mean, they're playing with myth too in this story, right? In in yeah. that they're talking about the slasher, the urban legend, the boogeyman, uh, up to and including a very heavy-handed point of actually pulling a knife out of a stone wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're they're playing with all that stuff, and you can't tell me that they don't do it on purpose. No, everything why, in this film is why on purpose. Would, why uh, yeah. would you put a butcher knife in a stone wall? Mm-hmm. Right, uh, uh, Michael. Uh, Michael's pretty much a vampire in that tunnel. He's uh, yeah, it's yeah. a script, and and he's got uh, the, the homeless chap is you know Renfielding for him. <laughs> to Harry's point, what I what I kind of liked about that though is it's also this idea of labeling theory that if you mm. either keep yeah. telling yourself you're one thing, or if everyone keeps telling you as they are to Michael, yeah. you are evil you eventually just believe that and become that. Mm. And I, one thing that I really love that John Carpenter in the first, and it's why I love that Gordon Green got rid of her being related was the first one is terrifying just because Michael was evil personified. He's been basically almost infected as we still see here. And yes, he stalked Lori, but it was just an imprinting. He happened to go to the one place he knew she was there like a predator, just kind of imprinted, but that's it. They've, like you had said, with Sartain uh, orchestrating it in Halloween and they flat out explain it in Halloween Kills, the marketing for this movie and the character of Lori may think that there's a Michael versus Lori saga here. Michael doesn't see it that way. Michael just exists as this evil. And now that he's been you know, told this for so many decades, I mean, even in Halloween, you have podcasters coming to talk to him like, why are you evil? And he's just this, this shell of a man that it, it really shows that infect, infected has on everybody else and you mentioned it sammy how like almost lori becomes evil and i like the fact that even though it it does seem like to some like almost too much of a leap where you know for 40 some years you know she was just this traumatized person and now after the death of her daughter and kills you know she's trying to repent but it also makes sense that she had that wake-up call when her daughter was killed and she realizes her granddaughter is an orphan now doesn't have either of her parents from this that she needs to face this better because she saw what she did to the rest of the town. Everything evil dies tonight was inadvertently because of her. And it was what it was with Loomis. I mean, those later sequels, they failed. It was comical when Loomis became an asshole in five, but that was always the point. Even zombie touched upon it, that trying to understand Michael Myers in this evil 
drove everyone else insane and basically almost made you become this evil. And that's what happens with Corey Cunningham because he's getting the worst of the labeling theory now because he inadvertently kills this kid and gets off, rightfully so. But to the townsfolk, most of them know you shouldn't have been off. You were a child killer. And after a while, well, everybody keeps telling me I'm this killer. What if I just become this? And that's when he you know, discovers Michael and those two kind of play off of each other. Yeah. Again, I, I feel like sometimes the drama was a little bit too grandiose that it didn't always resonate and heavy handed. Yes. Yeah. But I really love the themes that it was going for with the psychological bent. And I feel it's been there since the start. It just has not been there as slow as this movie is. Cause like you said, Jose, Michael doesn't really even show up and you'll see him in that sewer until about 50 minutes in or so. And while there are still some pretty nifty kills in this, most of them are the back end. So you're, you're spending a much slower film mm. Uh, and I kind of actually, I liked more of the slower spots, to be honest, when I reflect more than I did, even though I did have some fun with some of those slasher moments, especially the uh, the DJ, just that tongue on the, oh the record God. player. That was a nice, gruesome touch. Yeah, that, that was, was good. I like that's that. pretty gross. Do So do we think, I mean, obviously, we've, we've talked about this before, about how Corey goes through almost the same situation as Laurie, right? He knows what really happened, but there is a mythos, there's a story that's being developed around him, and he's being, you know, scarlet lettered about, you know, being a violent, evil person. Do we think that the breaking point for his character and the idea, which also segues into this infection of evil idea, do we think that his breaking point was that scene at the con- uh, in front of the convenience store where he cuts his hand and then Lori oh. sort of like helps mm-hmm. him? And then at that point, that's when he gets this idea of, you know, hey. Well, I, have a, I have a weird theory about uh, that, that whole cut. Yeah. And it has to be because they end up at that doctor's house uh, and he's with the hot nurse and he's got the gift and he's getting ready to, you know, knock the close escrow. Through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gonna close escrow. There you go. He's getting ready to knock them boots. He's getting ready to get his client off, so to speak. Ah, start an exam. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, all that uh, innuendo there. We'll drop all that. But at that point, there's a kill happening with uh, the Corey character. He's having his moment, and Michael Myers comes in, swoops in. He takes the female. But in that moment, Corey unwraps the gash. He unwraps the hand. Don't why is he unwrapping his hand? And you're thinking it has nothing to do with anything. While Michael's killing that character, he's got his hand on the glass. Like he's trying to get a transference. He's trying to make some kind of connection with somebody. And while it can seem hokey and a little heavy handed, I really like that. I really like that he's trying to make some kind of connection that he's trying to find somebody to care for him because this character, he, he had a bad break. I mean, a really bad break. Uh, I really can't think if you can have a much worse break than that. Um, you know, he seems like he had his whole life in front of him. And then he has this moment in the town, you know, right. What he should have done is he should have probably moved away. And, and a lot of towns have these people. There's actually somebody that doesn't live too far away from here. Uh, in, uh, I think he may have passed now, but in Kentucky that, drove the wrong way on the highway and hit a bus that was coming back from Kings Island and uh, killed a bunch of kids on this bus that caught on fire. And he only went to jail for a little bit and he got back out. And of course that whole small town, he stays hidden. If he's still alive, I can't remember if he's still alive or not, 
he's here, but nobody knows where he's at or he hides all the time. Because why wouldn't you, right? I mean, yeah. you're, you're the black sheep forever. You just took a bunch of people's kids' lives. So he's he's got this abusive relationship with the town. Lori's got this abusive relationship with the town. So she obviously sees something in him. But he just can't connect with Lori, even though he tries. He really wants to connect with her granddaughter. <sighs> and that's normal. Connect. But Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But he's trying. And what I wanted, what I really wanted, I got to be honest with you. I like the two scenes with the parents of the child that he accidentally killed. The mom is a little maudlin, a little over the top, kind of what you expect. But I really like the dad scene. That was a surprise. Yeah. He really looks at it kind of realistically. Yeah. You know, this poor kid's not going to, he's never going to catch a break. He's always going to be a child killer in somebody's eyes. But there was also something interesting in that scene, not to cut you off, but like, where the father was sort of, you almost get the sense that he didn't want to speak up because he didn't want to be canceled either for defending mm-hmm. him, right? Yeah. And so yeah, he yeah. just sort of was like, I don't know what happened. I don't have to say anything. Um, yeah. But never because reached out to help him. Yeah, because it's going to appear callous if he's trying to help who is considered his child's killer, even though you know, you can tell he understands more up to a point that there was this accident and that we're kind of making this kid that, but it's, it's such a tricky situation. And because, I mean, even if he tries to help him, he's probably going to see his son then in him. And that is that going to be something he can emotionally handle? Well, yeah. And, and all that is this, this reflection that I kind of talked about in the little thing I wrote up on letterbox of how we see the slasher and how the slasher film kind of sees us. And it gets a little artsy fartsy the way I talk <laughs> about it. It's I true. Pollute. I love it. Yeah, a little highfalutin. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> highfalutin. But uh, I should have had my, you know, should have been walking around my flute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, but it, it is true, I think. I think that, you know, these societal norms and things, uh, Harry kind of talked about it with the evil dice tonight stuff. I know a lot of people didn't like that, and it's been easy to make fun of, and it makes for great memes. I share a lot of them a lot of the times. <laughs> I mean, they're they're hilarious, and I love it. The vacation one always gets me. I mean, me. <laughs> I saw Anthony Michael Hall like three or four weeks ago, and I heard somebody yell, evil dies tonight. <laughs> and he's never going to escape that the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be with him forever. That and uh, that's kind of that's awesome. Yeah. That's going <laughs> well, back just to like, lab- just like in this theory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's labeling theory, no doubt. <laughs> well, I was going to say, just like, just like in this movie, right? Corey replaced Michael Myers, you know, evil dies tonight replaced whatever quotes you were pulling from the breakfast club for, for Anthony Michael Hall, you know? Yeah. So. But I mean, all the little moments with Corey too, are very Michael Myers esque in, in homage as well. Right. The, her looking out the window and seeing him standing there next to the mirror, standing next to a yeah, clothing line or whatever. Yeah. And just little moments like that. They're all kind of plug and play moments for the Corey character to kind of be in the spots that Michael Myers was in her memory, or at least also in our memory as viewers of the first film. So all of these things are done on purpose. And I think some people really were offended by that. And I think that's why you're getting the reaction you're getting from some people, which I think is fine. I think, I think that's great. I think people should have re- whatever reaction. There's no such thing as a wrong reaction. In my opinion, Agreed. Uh, yeah. any reaction is the correct reaction. That's your opinion and you should be able to have it. But I do think that there is a lot more going on here than just a simple slasher film. I, look, if this would have just been a simple slasher movie, I would have enjoyed it just as much. I enjoyed the violence in part two, uh, the Halloween kills. I thought, wow, they really went for it with the violence in this one. It was surprisingly violent. Um, the evil dies tonight thing. 
I liked. I thought it was over the top and ridiculous, but I and laughed a lot. But I liked it. Some people, uh, you know, it's groan inducing. I, I get that, and I, I can see where people would think. You know, I think some online this is already being called hashtag Corey Ween. Uh, <laughs> Corey Ween, yes. Corey Ween. <laughs> uh, so God. I mean, there's some of that going on, but I I, I think you know. David Gordon Green, them, they know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're passing the story on. They're passing this myth on. Hmm. And what you can't say about Halloween is that franchise at least has taken some shots. I mean, I guess they all have in some way. Now that I think about it, I'm running all these franchises through my head. And, you know, I love Friday the 13th because of what it is, hmm. not because of what it tries to do, just because of what it is. And it's probably my favorite of these franchises ultimately, but I admire the, the idea that a couple guys who I think are really talented, Danny McBride and David Gordon green, and have made some really, really good films. Um, not just outside of the comedies and the stoner stuff. I'm talking about some really solid films, um, came in and kind of rejuvenated a franchise with ideas. Yeah. And that's fu- that I think that's awesome. I just think it's, I think it's great. I think, Tommy Lee Wallace did the same thing with part three. I mean, it's just a riff on body snatchers, but, uh, but it's full of ideas. And I, I like that. The so I have, I have, I have one point that I want to throw out there. Um, and it's not really a criticism of the film itself. It's one of those, what if, what if, what could have been, but how, I, I just wanted to ask your guys' opinions about, the actual story itself and the romance that they kind of go through. I mean, we understand that Lori looks into Corey, Lori, Corey, Hmm. Lori looks into Corey's <laughs> eyes and, and sees Michael again. And that's why we're yeah. seeing some of that. Um, yeah. But yeah. how did you guys feel about that story and the romance? Because to me, it, it didn't make sense that everything after everything that her niece, niece, granddaughter, mm. Granddaughter. 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 Grand- Granddaughter. Sorry. I'm sorry. Whatever. I can't do the family. <laughs> but, all right. We that learned her, that last week. <laughs> yes, I know. Everything that her granddaughter went through, does it make sense she would have fallen in love with this guy, this flawed guy? Because to me, it, did, so. it didn't make sense. So I, for me, I actually think so. And I will admit that it does, again, it comes off maudlin in that. And my friend had the same reaction you did. But she is supposed to be early 20s. And uh, granted, it might be some projection here. But from what I've done in the past, and I think I see so many people do, especially when you're young, is when you have this idea that you are broken or something in that way, you can't accept the idea that somebody that is quote unquote normal is going to be able to accept you. So she sees just like kind of what Lori sees, somebody who has gotten a bad rap and went through this trauma that nobody else understands. We understand each other. Now, the problem with this a lot of times, especially when you're young, is not understanding that both of you might not be equipped at that point, especially if you're still going through this trauma, to handle the other person's trauma. And just because somebody hasn't gone through it does not mean that they can't be empathetic, understanding, and actually be the yin to your yang. So I actually do agree with her and and the decision to make her attracted to him because I think she would see that in him that she can't see in anybody else now because she's still, even if it's maybe not as bad as, you know, Lori is getting and then Corey is, she's still dealing with a lot of trauma and labeling from this town. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I was going to say Linus Harry, where were you? Th- did you buy that romance? Did you? I, I, I agree with Justin. Um, 
the, I, I mean, it makes sense, but I, I just think the way they went about it, it seemed a bit fast forward, and it, it's, uh, they didn't really sell it. Even though um, I, I agree with what Justin said that you know, the, the, it, it could have been sold, but uh, I don't think they quite pulled it off. Like, and especially like, as it went on, and he's like calling her up in the diner, and he's basically saying like, like, come away with me. I'm not really evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honest, <laughs> and it's like, like at some point, you know, like she's 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 been through right, some Dr. shit. Vibes. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like, like I mean, yeah, I I saw one review uh, earlier today that said she seems to have dropped a lot of IQ points between mo- movies. You know, that's what my friend said. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. like different characters to an extent, I mean, because we yeah. a lot of this would work, but she we were introduced to her previous boyfriend, the the cop. Oh, so dude. she saw her boyfriend get completely stomped to death on those stairs senior <laughs> mm. year. And then in the next four years had, it seems like she had a long relationship with this officer that they, he's stalking her. I mean, that it, he seems like a really weird character. It, do, it, does, it does seem like she has really terrible taste in men. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, like, like that, that dickhead from the first two movies uh, that cheated on her right in front of her. And then, like, that cop, like, he looks about 45 or something. Like. I was going to say, it wasn't even a May-December. It was, like, May and next March. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah and, I, and I agree that, you know, again, it's, it's about connection, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think maybe this, this is all she can connect to is the town mm-hmm. bad boy or the town uh, black sheep or the town devil, however you want to look at it. Well, Sam had said something about the infection, and that actually first appears. It's something that Allison is talking about in her defense of why they're going to hunt down Michael Myers in Halloween Kills. Yeah. And you move that into the, the the theory with his hand to even strengthen that when they're on the, the, the radio station roof. She is looking at his hand and whispers infected. Yeah. And it seems like it's it's much more meta than, yes, he's got an infected hand. That That's a part of it. But there is something deeper. And the infection is within all of us, that it is our, our fears and what we can turn our fears into and, and justify it and believe this is true. And it, it goes to him hating himself for what he's done. And you've got the the, the beautiful scene at the, the party where he runs into his victim's mother that regardless he didn't mean to do it there's still a victim in this hand and he's ha- laughing having fun but why are you at a halloween party which is the anniversary of your kid dying drink you know yeah. it seems like a really weird place for them to run into each other I'm like why are you in, out here in the like, same like, costume as well yeah, yeah. yeah like that seems really <laughs> fucking morbid that's not normal <laughs> it seems like there's only one bar in haddonfield yeah, yeah. it seems yeah. like a large town in some angles and the first two movies make haddonfield seem really big but this movie made it really centralized like there's a couple streets i guess everyone really yeah. knows each other they're familiar well, with each other's sins well it took them ages to find him and and kills didn't it like <laughs> it did, <laughs> it did. Yeah. apparently he, he knows did. the sewer system very well that might have been the secret to all these movies that he's just dropping down and going through tunnels one, one thing i wondered about as well uh is what, once he starts his team up with Corey, like how do they get out to those houses is he like on Corey's bike <laughs> uh, is, uh, is, okay is, 
is, my, is Corey is Corey like his Robin? That's like, the picture. That's like, the T-shirt I want. Of, of Corey. So I, I have seen all four fingers. I have yeah. seen illustrations <laughs> of like Michael Myers on 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 a bike with Corey, oh, and yeah, my oh, husband man. my husband That's Scooter so and I were joking. We were like, yeah. "Are we going to get a scene where?" You know, he's on the back, like, like yeah. I'm the king of the world, like the Titanic, and Corey's like pedaling away or whatever. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, look, he somehow learned how to drive in the first movie, despite the fact that he was locked up since he was a kid. So, uh, right? How would you? Oh, know? Michael is just. Or alternatively, did they just walk over and like just you know just have a lot of awkward silence? Was he like so? Uh, so how long you been a murderer, bro? Like, uh, <laughs> Well, so if you like, go through the whole series, it's kind of bizarre. Michael's skill as a driver is is really mm. beyond. He can drive a semi truck, he drives a tow truck, <laughs> he drives a sports car at one point. Yes. And that kind of was shown in this film that a, a lot of all of Michael driving is Corey, and he puts on the mask, but he drives the tow truck. He's got mm. the motorcycle, and it almost plays off on how because that's been a complaint for most people. Well, how could Michael even know how to do this? In this series, they've replicated it, but it's it's Michael, but it's not him. It all comes down to the power of that mask almost that that's the fear. It's just a new a yeah. new demigogue or something. It's just a new thing to put up and be afraid of. The, the evil mask. rides tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the mask is Christine. Can yeah, I just definitely. can I just tell you how miserable the one girl getting run over and trapped under oh, the, oh. the fence made me and seeing her like help me and then the person's like we're gonna get you out no you're no we're not gonna get you out madam you're <laughs> dead. dead um so i love this that bring, dad too <laughs> so this sweetheart. brings this brings me to to my point which is this they were swinging so hard for the fences that if they had ended it with a Michael Myers fight between Laurie and and Michael Myers, of course, because it would be between the two of them, and then she kills Michael and pulls the mask off, and it's Corey. I think that would have been mad brilliant. That it would have Michael Myers would have been a figment of Corey's imagination, which is where I thought they were going with this. I have Honestly. a feeling that might have been the idea because there was apparently a test ending that did not go well. So they uh, kind of redid something. And I know that there was rumors of obviously an ending where Lori dies. So I would not be surprised if that was the idea and that was more a studio going, okay, we got to show more of this. Because I mean, the Friday 13th part five references made a yeah. lot. I mean, that's another reason I think his last name is Cunningham because Sean S. Cunningham, Friday 13th. But the difference was Jason was never in that movie. It was Roy under the mask. Here, yeah, so blatant. this is what I was thinking about. I was yeah, thinking they, they were going to do that. Blatant with the fact that, no, Michael's still alive down in the sewers and he might be transferring his evil. But even once Corey takes the mask and runs off, Michael sh sits up and you know he's chasing after him. Even when uh, Corey has his first kill, Michael's there. And there was a concept, and I'm cribbing this from these books, uh, Taking Shape and Taking Shape 2. The sequel was about all these unwritten sequels. And the writer of that was on the terrific Best Movies Never Made podcast recently. And he had hinted at this because uh, I think it was going to be for the seventh film before Lori, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis came back, that they were going to do a two faces of evil concept similar to this, where somebody else comes into town, has a similar idea, and both he and Michael Myers are killing at the same time. But the way they shot it was you never knew which one was which. And that, so I think the ending would have been very similar to what you're going just with whoever the heroine in that movie would have been. 
I feel like that's kind of where the film ends up stumbling was I feel like it's taking such a big swing, but it also, whether it's because Gordon Green and company feel they needed to still show that Michael's there if it was a studio, but the fact that they kind of have to show you that Michael is still here throughout, even if they wait 50 minutes, kind of undercut some of that. Because I do agree. I think that might have worked better than even though I kind of like how they they threw us off with her possibly committing suicide and it was just a ploy to mm. trick Corey, but pretty much having Corey kill himself to make Andy or sorry, uh, Allison think that mm. Lori was killed him. But then that kind of she just comes that realization when she sees the, the one thing burning down. Oh, wait, Corey was insane. It felt a little bit too rushed. And I really yeah. am curious if the original pitched ending or even filmed ending was more ambiguous right up until the end because i think if you if you i haven't i've only seen it once but i i was assiduously watching like each of the scenes with Corey and with michael because i think they were playing with that like is it a figment of his imagination did he just is he using that visually to just like a high like a high tension kind of thing where Mm -hmm. we're following her and then she turns out to actually be the killer and there never was any you know um, but again, I love, now the, I love the Italianness. So the I love the the Italian horror aspects of your conversation right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just I think that would have actually, as disappointing as the movie was to me, I think that would have made it even stronger to be yeah. like, guess what, Michael Myers really is dead <laughs> and he's gone, and yeah. uh, you know, anyway. and actually, this third character you never even thought about's mom who was upset about something else, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did that's not the, the, the Italian horror thing. I did not like bit. his mom. I did it was, not <laughs> like his mom. I loved yeah. his dad though. Dad was a sweetheart. Yeah, dad. Yeah. Was, his stepdad was a nice fella. Uh, she was an awful, awful human being. She she went full Mrs. Soprano, didn't she? Yeah, she really I did. found that even to be further contrast with Christine, even the father character, who they don't really speak much. And there's a scene where Arnie ends up choking his dad before finally. Mm-hmm. sort of succumbing to the power of whatever Christine is. But I think it centralizes really within Michael's mask that it's it's when Corey gets his mask, I feel that he kind of finally snaps and realizes that he could be the embodiment of what everyone already believes him to be. And through that, it's just the perception of evil and pain. But I it, it, it even the end of the film, I thought, was remarkable with how much it pairs up to Christine. All they're missing is the 1950s soundtrack. That there's yeah. that with the music cues would have given it away too much, but you replicate the the football player best friend with Laurie Strode and the fascination between Christine and Arnie, and that's between Allison and Corey itself. That he's become his own vehicle, kind yeah. of a pun intended there, but it's that's it's. Good. It it works on then it to me it gave me a deeper appreciation. I ended up watching Christine last night that I wanted to make sure some of some of my references were on point. And when I got to the end of the film, it's it's in a junkyard and Christine is compacted and crushed in the exact same way that we lose this evil that turns out to just be another old man. I think my problem with that is in kills that we're we're shown Michael is shot in the face, the the chest multiple times with high caliber handguns, and he he's seemingly immortal. But now in this movie, he's he's you can just slit his throat. 
and his wrist. Yeah, it's a little bit too easy after nerfing him, especially in kills, but even in the first Halloween, because like he's curb stomping people and like that that one kind of went crazy too. Just sixty-two years old. He's not been getting a lot of exercise. And Lori, even in the first film, it actually might be Lori's daughter before uh, her character is killed. Well, that's in kills where she dies. So in the first film, she shoots Michael with like a thirty-out six point blank range in the face. He burns alive in the house and still we have that that terrifying immortal michael myers so it's really jarring and and a great juxtaposition of he's seemingly mortal now and it's the the four years later i think was their way of you know he aged it's been it's been a hard four years for this guy in the sewer just take it just just take it and run with it but not for the rush that he had is gone Yeah, but not for Lori. She's baking pies and dancing, and she's got new <laughs> hair. Okay, she moved on. It, it bothered the, me that she, Allison, never calls Lori grandmother oh anymore. It was never she like, even has her as Lori in her phone, and that was weird to me. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you, you insist on calling her grandmother, not grandma or mama or yeah, who says that? You know, yeah, <laughs> Mima. Like yeah, we had nicknames: <laughs> Mima, Papa, Mama, and Papa. You know, Mima Myers. And then it's suddenly Lori just over, over here it's nanogram. Yeah, I just you guys are bringing up some really, really great points. I will definitely have to revisit it. It's unfortunately, it's still a soft skip for me, just from Same. the disappointment factor. But and especially, I have to tell you, I don't know that they needed the whole funeral procession thing to let us know that the town can heal. Yeah. Over Where over did these they all incidences. Come from? <laughs> I mean, it was just in like a few minutes of time, and then the whole town's carry. You got the little boy from the first movie whose babysitter was killed. Yes, as the- they were all at the bar. <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. Hold everyone <laughs> and here's it's the thing missing. the radio station burned down so how did they get this announcement out that we're going to have like a an evil yeah, yeah. we have cell phones it, 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 it must be text mis- it's missing a scene where uh like laurie goes on facebook and invites yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the evil dies tonight for real this time guys there's a watch party on youtube going yes. <laughs> yeah it was probably live facebook well. live you couldn't make it <laughs> i will i will say this terms of service so i think you get shut down you'd probably have to move to instagram or something oh exactly they had their own little social media a telegram page (laughs) so um uh i have to tell you i did i did look away when they were michael myers meat grinding him i i couldn't i couldn't watch so i don't even know what that i don't even know what that looked like but when he went into the the, yeah yeah, they did the uh, temple of doom mind crunch for him it was it was crunchy it was a good effect. Yeah. It almost <laughs> seemed like it, it, it wasn't really human, that it seemed like it was uh, the, the way the fiber and everything split up, like it was like a mask or something breaking with him, that it wasn't just the, the average gore and guts of a ending of a horror film. It didn't go Fulci with it. Yeah, Just meat for the beast. Although I have to, t- I have to tell you, in the beginning, we were watching this, um, again, my Chinese food. I took a bite of Chinese food and with my mouth full of food, I was like, Michael's going in there the first time they show the 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 car grinder thing. And sure enough, <laughs> yeah. just not they, the way yeah. I thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, it, if it's a horror film and they show you something very dangerous, it's coming back around. It's coming back around, film. yeah. <laughs> I was uh, expecting him to wake up one more time and just sort of, as he's going in, just like, ah. Or his hand just kind of comes out one last gasp as it gets crunched in. There could have been an I, end I really credits. I should have pulled Lori. Should have pulled Lori in, man. Yep, there we go. That's exactly what I wanted, and I thought the whole scene was built around that. Lori's like, I thought so too, dude. 
kill them both at the same time it it Mm, completely mm -hmm. destroys all the myths surrounding halloween no one's left there and and somebody had mentioned earlier if it had been Corey the entire time i thought it would have just been wonderful if Corey had ended up killing michael and taking the mask and moving Mm. on and that would have destroyed fans i mean you couldn't kill michael with a new character but that final face-off between laurie and someone in the mask Either Lori should have died there or she should have died with the grinder. I really think the character, they should have <laughs> well, defeated each well, they, other. Yeah, they uh, were I setting agree. that up in kills, weren't they? I mean, yeah. she says, says as much, like but the, only, the only way it ends is if they both die. And then, yeah, she's, if he dies yeah, with me, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she's be, gonna bake and, pies, I guess. I mean, cut away, they should have had him pull her in, cut yeah. away Will Patton jerking off to cherry blossoms. I mean, they, <laughs> <laughs> Suicide or cherry blossoms? It's cherry blossoms, baby. Oh my god, that's amazing. Boom. I, in. See, <laughs> Sam, Sammy, you should have script doctored. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if my ideas will get through. Uh, a little too dark, probably. Uh, he's also uh, lugging around like a big bag of vegetables, too, still crying. Yeah. <laughs> You Which, know, by the way, I know they're in a bag, but like they're in one of those bags that has holes in it. So like half of those vegetables are now very dirty because they're <laughs> porch. You've done nothing nice, Frank. You've made this a situation. Now she has to wash them again. It's just, exactly. Uh, his character even seems moot in this that we set up with. And I, I really enjoyed and kills the the shots with the, the shimp Loomis, I guess we could call him. <laughs> Loomis shimp character. I liked what that added. We see Michael being caught. We understand how there is a continuation, how he gets to Smith's Grove. We learn that Frank is detrimental, that they could have killed Michael that night. And then it ends. He's just like this happy old guy that runs into her. I do like in the scene when he first runs into Lori that it's Don't Fear the Reaper playing in the background, but it was yeah. the super smooth jazz, which I, I kind of want to download for that. I would yeah. love to just listen to that going to sleep. Muzak version of Don't oh, Fear yeah. the Reaper. They layered it with so many nuances. I think you you have to really appreciate that these, I I think they probably just spent weeks with edibles and smoking weed watching the same movies over and over. Like, Uh, let's let's do this. Let's add this layer in. But it seems like it was with intent. They knew they were going to rock the boat. They wanted to do what Halloween three did with their Halloween three. They, and I, I think that was successful. I've not seen this many people upset about a Halloween movie <laughs> since the last one, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Harry, you bring up a good point. They teed up so much in kills that, mm. that they don't really pay off in this, you know, yeah. it was, and that's a big disappointment that Frank is a pretty cool character. And we, I was really hoping we would see more of, 1978 and, and even the original film that John Carpenter did the the TV version had some extra scenes that showed Dr. Loomis talking about Michael some court footage and and Michael at Smith's Grove as a young child with Rob Zombie kind of replicated with his first film I was really hoping that we would see maybe Loomis dealing with Michael throughout the last 40 years before his death and and getting some sort of semblance of what happened with him and the first doctor, because that's such a strong plot that Michael is, he's not attracted to Lori. He's attracted to killing in general. And once that doctor character is dead, they, it, that plot dies, they just mm-hmm. left it alone and then mildly brought it up to carry on in part two, but the evil dies tonight and that fear and, and Tommy is really what pushes and you just kind of forget about that. And that was, it's, it, it, it's a hard thing to say this is a watch because I don't, 
it's a watch, but if you watch all of them, so it makes it almost a a skip at the same time because you have to really get into it or you're just going to be disappointed. That's very meta. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean it to be, but I'm glad it came out good. It's both a watch and a skip, which I, you know, honestly, when, when you get something this popular, like this franchise, you know, it's like, it's like saying this Star Wars movie is terrible, but we all know you're going to see it anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Well, I mean, yeah, some of these things are bulletproof. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe that's all we get. All we get is, is, uh, you know, Will Patton's character and Laurie Strode sitting sitting on the steps waiting for the next dramatic, horrible thing to It's a nice thought, but we feel the... so bad about Michael now. It's like, well, that's not fair. They get to have a nice life after all this trauma. But it brings up in this film that Laurie's sort of antagonizing him, that he's been away for years and years and years. So what if she hadn't been showing up to all of his parole meetings or, or harassing him in a sense that he's being reflective constantly and reminded of these incidents until the 40th anniversary. And then in this film, it really makes it seem that the townspeople feel that she's sort of the Frankenstein monster. She brought all of this curse onto everyone. And it it seems so abrupt that they've gone from, well, this doctor was really a sick bastard and he was doing this. He's mm. the reason that this happened. And now it's all Lori's fault. And I, mm. I got to give that a fault for the film. Yeah. It just changes the environment of what, <laughs> You gave us two movies ago. You can't put it in the movie and then ignore it later unless you do a whole new series. Well, I do like the idea that the town is projecting on Lori, too, because, I mean, there's even one character. I think it was the DJ that said, oh, she gave, you know, she terrorized a guy that had brain damage. Well, I think the brain damage didn't come from her. I mean, yes, it came because of her inciting. But like, that's the idea of. The townsfolk are like after doing all this are like, well, it was her fault because they don't want to take responsibility. The fact that they got wrapped up into this hoopla in this mania and they victimized Michael just as much, if not more than she did, because they gave him a brutal beating at the end of Ellen Kills. So but to your point, I, I think you are right where they just they introduced a lot of it, but there's especially with wanting to introduce Corey and making so much of the arc about him that does unintentionally have to fall by the wayside sometimes. And I think that there were more interesting depictions of that, like those scenes at the supermarket that we could have gotten that would have also explained more as to why Lori is trying to repent and get away from this guilt instead of just living with it. But unfortunately they had so much to juggle with the new character. I I don't feel like they got to explore it as much as they could have. Hey, at least we didn't get another offensive gay couple. Okay. (laughs) That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I feel like Michael too is, is been killing the entire time that we have all these missing posters. And we learn from the homeless man that he tells people that Michael drags them in and they never come out that everyone else's fear has even become ignoring michael myers he's been out there the whole time that you and especially that there's that shot right before Corey gets knocked over the bridge of this quarter frame of a missing woman's poster and someone's throughout the movie mentions there's six people already missing in haddonfield that maybe michael has been there the entire time but others fear has has ignored him that the boogeyman has become everyone yeah. well no, i, I think they think also mentioned they mentioned that Corey's drama replaced the incident of Michael Myers, right? So it was like when when this opens, it's like it's another new if we're gonna liken it as a political allegory, this is a new news cycle and Michael's old news and Corey is, you know, Corey Ween is the the big stuff. The new news. 
and you both bringing that up just made me think of something else because there's obviously a lot of you know political social commentary in here maybe that's also a slide commentary on just covid because here's this thing that is still you know killing people michael but we need to move on like you just kind of have to live and learn with it is where a lot of people are at so maybe maybe i'm reading in too deep to it now that you brought it up but i wouldn't be surprised if maybe that was a subtle commentary as well that the town is trying to accept michael like we're trying to accept covid valid i mean it's certainly there and when it's brought up it seems following the other two films that it's got to have some sort of political underlining and it seems like it's something that really could be prominent these are all good points i love this yeah (laughs) any further thoughts i feel like we've We've covered it all. Linus, any other further thoughts? Anything we're missing? um, I mean, had a a bit more planning gone into this trilogy. Do you think uh, it would have been more effective had they introduced Corey at an earlier point? Yeah, it seems odd that they chose the third film to do Mm -hmm. it. Possibly. Though I also wonder, I mean, I guess maybe it still would have had an impact if this movie opened with the accidental kid death, because now you also know Corey more. But there's also a part of me that's like the one thing I like about them introducing Corey in this is like you get that guttural just like shock of that scene that maybe Mm. wouldn't have been there had we already been comfortable with Corey. But I do feel if they would have at least introduced him in kills because Mm. I I got the vibe that he was always a citizen of Haddonfield or did they maybe make a mention and I missed it that he recently moved here. But like so he's always been here, it sounds. Yeah. So so it could have easily been introduced in kills, but. Even as just a mild background character in fancy, yeah, yeah, just yeah. one off. There he is, but I don't think enough hindsight had been. It seems like the very first two films were direct with one another, and the ideas follow through, and the gap between writing kills and ends mm. is a bit damning because there's there's just stuff thrown up in the air that we never really come back to. Yeah, and they had mentioned too that they had originally pitched the idea of filming both Halloween and Halloween Kills together. Uh, and just releasing one after the other. But then they said, well, let's just do one and then we'll see how the audience reacts and if there's anything we need to change up that we feel we can do with kills. And then I think once they were like, well, let's do a trilogy, I think that probably just threw everything for a loop too. Mm. Danny, bring yeah. more edibles. We have to write a third one. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the end of, the end of kills, they'd basically set up, you'd expect this movie to be a kind of uh, Halloween take on I Saw the Devil where uh, uh, Laurie's going after Michael and then maybe could have had a bit of a role reversal in um, the sort of hunter and hunted and and flip your allegiances maybe at points. But uh, but instead we ended up with uh, Hallow Christine. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, I really yeah. hear that though. I, I don't know if it's, I mean, it, it certainly has to be intentional and I don't know the direction that David Gordon Green had going with it but I, I just reflecting on this, and I guess it's an off-kilter statement, Carpenter's work is immaculate, and some of it does falter. There's not always perfection. But I was watching Christine last night, and I couldn't help but, for me personally, find it to be a perfect movie. That everything I want out of a slasher, out of a zombie movie, out of demons, monsters, everything is encompassed in that. And at the end of the film, I'm I'm completely torn and broken because evil technically was defeated, but that evil was so human. It was just a broken, disrupted human searching deeply for love and affection. And you can't say the same thing about Michael Myers because it never seems like he ever wanted love or affection. But you had a beautiful 
little subtle scene when Corey finally meets his demise, Michael caressed his face and gave him in that one moment the acknowledgement he never had from anyone else. Yeah. And that was where I, I really switched with this movie and, and realized I think I'm misunderstanding what they're showing to me on screen. And I still don't know if I understand it. I, I, I don't firmly I can't say I like or dislike this movie, but I am so happy I saw it because the more and more I think about it, I've not thought this long about something in years. I mean, this has really gotten under my skin and is causing me to reflect on not just the Halloween series, but slashers, the horror movies I've grown up loving my entire life. I mean, it, it really came off as a Halloween treat that, and especially so many people are torn over this. It's, it's bananas seeing uh, vivacious hatred over a movie. I mean, it's just, right. it's a movie and people exactly. are so angry over it, man, these guys really managed to do something with, with power. You have mm -hmm. these million dollar blockbusters that are doing nothing for people. And this is bringing and dividing the horror community and so much more. I love it. I live for this era of horror. I think it's miraculous. Even if you hate it. I think you bring up a really, really good point, though, just about the the frankness of the through line of Corey's story, which is, you know, his connection, his redemption is through evil, like that moment that he has with Michael. Right. But you know what? That's life. Some people connect to doing bad and they're just not going to change. It's just going to be the way that they are. And I think that that's that's presented in such a. Um, here it is that and and believe it or not, you know, that character goes out enjoying that sort of moment, that connection, enjoying that he sets up Lori like that. And fortunately, there's going to be people like that, you know? Yeah, mm. that's the scary thing. We, we do these true crime documentaries because we want to know what makes people tick. And sometimes it's just some people are just sociopathic and that's more terrifying than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered watching it if there was a. A kind of inconsistency with uh, Michael being the personification of evil, but then them arguing uh, that like a, a kind of monster like Corey is kind of like made through his environment. Mm. But I, I think uh, talking it out here, uh, I, I, I think no, I think it works. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh, final thoughts. <laughs> I. I don't have anything outside of I, I just think I respect everybody's opinion on this, but I, I, I just think it's a better film than people are giving it credit for. Where would you rank it in the uh, David Gordon Green trilogy? Um, Honestly, I think I probably like this one the most of the three. Yeah, I think I do, too. Yeah. This one, then maybe the first one, and even though I, I will champion kills in some way, I do think it's the weakest of the three. I don't know. Um, to be honest, I was most disappointed by the first one, um, yeah. just because I was—I don't know—I was because I, I, I bought into the hype, and uh, mm -hmm. and it was just kind of—I mean, it does some different stuff, but it's just—it's another Halloween film. And then um, going into kills, my expectations were a lot lower, so I was just appreciated the kills <laughs> but then this one does some uh, something different and uh yeah and i i didn't think it all landed for me but the more i think about it and the more we talk about it um it, it works a lot better than i first thought it did and uh yeah it's my pick of the bunch i, I think, think i'd probably i'm oh, sorry go ahead, go ahead. No, are you sure yeah 
I think if you run this as a quadrilogy instead of just a trilogy and you take the 1978 John Carpenter film, it is a, I wouldn't say triumphant, but a pleasing end to that story. And you have to disacknowledge everything else with Loomis and this idea of what Michael is aside from being a man. And I, I quite like the, the entire trilogy. So I found it, I guess I'm more of a hater than anything else with the re- the regular series that I thought this was so refreshing. I loved where Halloween 2018 redirected the series. And then with kills beyond political statements, I found it terrifying. I found the violence to be actually disturbing. It made me not want to go outside that night. Anytime I watch it, I feel it's a little uneasy. And then we moved into this third film, the fact that it has been so much thought more thought than I ever thought I would give a Halloween movie has given me such deeper appreciation. I think this is my favorite out of the new trilogy. I'd probably put the, f- I like, I really did like the first one. Kill me. I don't know. I did. Yeah. I'm the same way. The David <laughs> I think Gordon Jose and I are pretty much the same. I love person. the podcasters. I wanted to even spend more time with oh, them man, and hear their them. show. Like, holy <laughs> shit, let's learn about these guys. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's really. what, that's kind of my chief complaint with the other two is that I hate all the characters. Like, they're all, <laughs> like, they will have these little idiosyncratic conversations before they get like horribly killed, and it just feels really forced. And like, yeah. and by the midpoint of of kills, I'm just I'm rooting for Michael. I just want to see him <laughs> kill all these terrible people. But um, in the new one, um, like I didn't hate anybody. Like you know, I was uh, I I liked. I liked Laurie for the first time since well in this series since 1978. Um, she seemed a lot less one note and like a like like a likable person and uh, and yeah uh, yeah. Well, she's certainly <laughs> I do less agree. chicken little in this <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I do agree about the humor, uh, especially when I revisited the Halloween from 2018. Like the bit with the oh, I got peanut butter on my dick, oh, and then everything God, yeah. with the kid and the babysitter. Like I laugh yeah. at it. I still think it's funny, but it is such a weird. <laughs> like juxtaposition to everything else going yeah, on and even yeah. in kills it's there but i will say this yeah. one had a better balance like there's still some moments that mm. make you laugh but they feel more genuine and earned in this one mm. um and I it's weird think for at any point in the series like a a, a rest in peace lumpy sign or like a lumpy <laughs> memorial that was my favorite character the very first kill in the series is a child named lumpy, lumpy. who wants to be a dancer i loved oh, him yeah. so much rest in <laughs> peace lumpy you, you maybe that was a call back to halloween night dance <laughs> <laughs> i loved it nice okay so I don't know. Do we need to repeat our verdicts? I think we. Uh, I think I'm still where I'm at, but I'm getting much closer to a watch. Yeah, I think um, the discussion of this has definitely made me uh, want to definitely revisit it. But it's still for me. It's still a a soft skip. <clears throat> yeah, I'll stick with it. Yep. It's uh, I'm up to a hard watch now. <laughs> there we go. it's hard tonight. Watch hard. I'm super hard for that watch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm the third hard watch. I'm still with it. Yeah, yeah, nice. And uh, I mean, compared to like like um, Hellraiser, the new one that you covered last week, I mean, at least this isn't boring. I think. Yeah, <laughs> but, I agree but, with that. I had more 
enjoyment with this than I did that new one. The new, and the new it's Hel- not sterile. That's the biggest yeah. problem with the new Hellraiser. Is it's just very, yeah. very sterile. And this at least had some blood. There was some pain. And the pain wasn't always on screen. I, that's what really worked for me with this is I had to think about the repercussions of these characters' actions. They weren't just average fodder for a slasher movie or, or bodies that are being stacked up. You had they to were. feel their pain to understand it. Yeah. They, they were characters. Yeah, even the father getting killed because he wants to still defend his son, even though he had that realization that the stepson is terrible, you know, you know, gone off the deep end. It's still his son. And he takes the bullet because he's like, no, don't do it. Like, that's that's an emotional moment. Yeah, I didn't even realize when I saw it in theaters, I didn't. I thought that it was just Corey with the Myers mask on. And when I watched it the second time, I realized that he had put the mask on to trigger his stepfather's death, which was even more emotional. This person mm-hmm. stood up for you. They gave yep. you this motorcycle. They wanted to make your existence better. And we don't have that with Michael. There is no one that ever wanted to make his life better after the events of 78. We don't know how his parents were like or his sister or, or what being a child the first six years was like. But throughout the first three, two films in this series, it is absolute hatred. And like Linus was bringing up, he hates the characters. All of them are perpetuations of Michael. This fear that he and Lori have cast over this town, everyone has become absolutely infected with the hatred. And mm-hmm. that that flows into this third film, the infection that all of us risk every day uh, with with misinformation and not knowledge of tomorrow and a better tomorrow you can let hatred take over your absolute heart do you really want to be like Corey? so you have a really cool question asked with this movie it's more philosophical than i think any of us thought it would be Mm -hmm. i agree I, i think that's where the divide though is is that if you examine this film the threads sewn through the other two movies do make it seem like they connect but visually that jump and then, you know, just introducing us to Corey, I think it's what's making everybody lose their minds. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it was so displeasing. The f- I, I was really upset when I walked out of the theater, and I, I, I was lucky enough to see this movie with my mom. And the last time I had seen a Halloween movie in theaters was H2O with my mom. So I was hoping for Michael getting his head cut off with an axe at the end of the film, something really halloweeny and it, it it's taken reflection and i just don't think the more i reflect on it that i i hate this movie i really think i like it i have to tell you that her cutting at the end of age 20 that was quite satisfying when she cut his head off it was amazing i was like eight years old when i got to see that it was the first <laughs> horror movie in theaters i loved it i i for years was like that's how you end a horror movie you gotta cut their head off that's right the- and then, you know, after the movie, I was like, nah, that's, that's how you kill a franchise. I, I, I dug it. And then they retconned it, and it was yeah, ridiculous. Resurre- well, Resurrection killed a franchise in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not quite the resurrection we wanted. No. I, I really feel if it had been Method Man over Buster Rhymes, it would have been completely believable. There would have been no, like, oh, no, Buster Rhymes couldn't do the Method Man. Yeah, no, Hell he yeah. could totally use Kung Fu. He's, and and the thing is, movies. come on. I actually don't hate Method Man, or Method Man uh, Buster Rhymes in that. It's just, it doesn't belong in that movie. But I kind of wish he would have gotten gotten to be in different movies because I thought he was funny. I'm like, dude, like, it's a shame he didn't really do much else after that because I think he could have been like a weird, funny guy in some other movies, but it does not fit at all. At least we should have gotten some sort of Taibo Kung Fu workout DVD from him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
at yeah. least. That's an idea you should capitalize on now, though. The Michael Myers workout tape had a walk in place and get everywhere you need to get. Never Trick or does. treat, motherfuckers. We're doing arms <laughs> now. <laughs> and stab and stab to the fork. Anyway. He's got to have great quads and biceps because he just walks at that slow pace absolutely mm-hmm. everywhere. He's never winded. He seems <laughs> to be well hydrated. Like, I mean, like in a tunnel, maybe he's got a, a spring water source or something. But Michael moves. He seems to really be flexible. Do you think he's doing some sort of uh, killer aerobics workout? Jazz or size. He's doing some DDP yoga down there in the sewer. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's doing some <laughs> body, body weight cave workouts. <laughs> calisthenics all right well i think i think we killed yeah. it y'all yes i, I think and you know this the ends <laughs> watch the skip ends. plus ends. ends we're done you know we've uh we've reached we can't top this so. we can't i don't think we can so uh, all right well uh sammy thank you so much thank you for joining us very oh, good discussion for, yeah thank you for letting me on Excellent, excellent. And as everybody knows, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, you can find it on all of your, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, all of that. Uh, you guys are on six, what, six, 609 or something? Uh, 604. 604. I'm getting these yeah. numbers wrong. Don't ask me to pick lottery, okay? At least you're close. <laughs> I, it was sort of close, as in the area. But if this is Price is Right, I would lose. And to the Death by DVD host, Harry and Linus, thank you so much, um, especially Linus from across the pond. What is it, like three in the morning now? I know, you're really sticking it with us. I'm so sorry. Uh, it, it's, it's only 1.30 nearly. Oh, okay, yeah. got it, got it, got it. Excellent. But yeah. thank you guys so much for, for hosting. And and Harry, I'm I'm happy and honored that you were, that this is your first guest podcasting appearance. I, I am beyond ecstatic. This was a beautiful conversation and I feel so privileged to be a part of this and I, I, thanks to all of you. I, I loved this. This was great. This is the best definitive Halloween ends. The, this is the one you have to hear. This yeah. is great. And we loved yeah. having you. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right, Justin. Thank I, Justin, I think that's a wrap. Yeah, I think it is. You know, <laughs> Halloween ends may be polarizing, but we hope that this podcast is never polarizing, that you always listen, you never skip, and you remember that you are always the plus. Pumpkin Ooh. pies tonight. Yeah. <laughs> pumpkin <laughs> pies tonight. tonight, baby. Damn, I actually could go for a pumpkin pie. I might run to the <laughs> grocery great. store quick. <laughs> potato at this point sounds tolerable. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I got a half a burrito left. I think that's what I'm going to throw down. <laughs> See if I can find some pumpkin flavored something around here. <laughs>